Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booster Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Fitrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? We are in uncharted waters here, Shag. <laughs> you, you know what I think it is? I heard someone else call it this in the comments. We're in the victory lap. That's what this is. This is, this is the victory lap episode. Or I also like to think of it as this is the codicil, if you will. Because this is uh, episode 27 of Who's Who. And if you know your Who's Who, there was only 26 issues in volume one. So what we're doing is this is sort of the, the recap, the wrap-up, the characters that should have made it, general discussion, a little bit of fun. So apocrypha. Apocrypha. Oh, that's nice. That's good, too. It's codicil apocrypha. Oh, boy. So. Let's, let's put that in the subject heading. That way we really drive the downloads. <laughs> no one's Googling those words, I promise. Let's <laughs> looking for Miracle Man apocrypha. So uh, before we get rolling, though, I guess we should uh, give a shout-out to In Stock Trades. Yes, we should. All right, folks. In Stock Trades is your best source for... Uh, getting up my notes here. Sorry. You think I'd know it by now. Yeah. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, bro? I figured the perfect time would be this would be the perfect time to plug uh, an ambush book collection. Unfortunately, there are no ambush book collections. Well, there is one. It's just not an in stock. Okay. Well, it's not in stock trades. But I mean, well, that's what I meant is that it's not available in in stock trades. So I was disappointed that. So I went with a character that is mentioned in one of the books we'll be talking about Egg Foo, one of the best <laughs> Wonder Woman villains ever. Egg Foo appears in Showcase Presents a Wonder Woman Volume 4. Uh, it is Wonder Woman guest. Featuring guest starring Supergirl, and she takes on Cheetah, Egg Fu, and many more. I don't even know why even you don't even need to say Cheetah. It's Egg Fu. That's all you need to know. Writer Bob Kaniger and Bill Finger, artists Ross Andrew, Irv Novick, Win Mortimer, and Mike Esposito. Five hundred and twenty pages. Normal <laughs> price nineteen ninety nine. The cover, uh, the instruct trade price is eleven dollars and fifty nine cents. That's forty two percent off. And on the cover is Wonder Woman hitting. Using Cheetah to hit a bunch of half-men monkey people. So I don't know what else you need to spend your $12 on. So Showcase Presents Volume 4, Wonder Woman. That's awesome. Uh, I'm actually promoting one I actually haven't read. However, I feel completely safe endorsing it. It's the Super Friends collection, the relatively recent Super Friends collection, the series that started in 2008. So it's Super Friends, calling all Super Friends straight paperback. This is sort of the kid-friendly Super Friends book. However, this particular volume collects issues 8 through 14. And did you know, did you know that issue 11 features not only Batmite and Mitsoplek, it also features Quisp and Mopey? Yes. You did know that. I read this. I read that book at the time. Okay. Well, and so I assume you can give an endorsement saying it's It's good. It's a very fun book. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Written by Shali Shali Fish, who has a story in Hey Kids Comics, by the way. Yes, he does. Art by uh, Dario Bruzella, Stuart McKinney, and Phil Moy. It's um, 144 pages. This one's you can get this one on the cheap, folks. Normally goes for 12.99. 
in stock uh, in stock trades price is forty two percent off. It's only seven dollars and fifty three cents, and it's super fun. So pick that up. Super friends calling all super friends. So again, folks, uh, go visit instocktrades.com, your online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty two percent off, with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. So this is normally the part where I would say, like, today we'll be covering volume XXVI. Get in your Wayback Machine. And in the Wayback Machine and all that business, but ain't got none of that to do. Like I said, uncharted territory. Well, folks, do us a favor. If you're going to be on the interwebs and doing the social medias and you're going to be uh, live tweeting or anything like that, which some of you folks do do, please use the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. That way the other folks out there will uh, – See it and hear it and follow along and have part of the fun. And by the way, if you do order from In Stock Trades, I'm going to ask a favor. Please do me a favor and go up to the contact us button or wherever, somewhere up there, there's like a contact us thing on the In Stock Trades page. Just drop them a quick message. Say, hey, I just ordered such and such, such and such, and I heard about you guys on the Fire and Water podcast. It would just go a little ways to helping them show that uh, their, their sponsorship of our podcast is worthwhile. That's all. So, and we would appreciate it. And Rob will even come over and wash your car. <laughs> yes, you yes, I will. Laughing? Yes, okay. and I cut off shorts. I'll look fantastic. <laughs> it's going to be just like wild things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, wanted to spend a moment talking about the going forward plan. We've received a lot of questions, even though I'm pretty sure we make this clear at the beginning of every episode. But, you know, for those of you who aren't paying attention. Actually, you know what? You know how I always say, like, I, I say all this stuff in the beginning, and I'm like, well, this is episode 26. I don't know why you'd start listening here, but blah, 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 blah. Got an email from somebody who says they started listening in episode 26. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) Look at that. So people do jump in the middle. All right, so folks, after this, uh, this is, in fact, the very last episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Because the next episode will be Who's Who, Update 87, Episode 1. We're going to start renumbering of the podcast, which <laughs> bothers Diablo Frank to no end. And those of you collectors who know that, you know, when you have your database and you're like, well, they started a new volume. Now I've got to do a new, is this volume one or volume two? You don't worry about that crap. Just listen to the podcast. You'll have fun. It'll show up at the top of your uh, iTunes feed. What are you worried about? Anyway, so yes, we'll, we'll be renaming the show. And that will continue through for update 87. Once we're done with that, we're going to do update 88. Then after that, we're going to cover all the annuals from 1989. And then we're going to do Who's Who in Star Trek. Looking forward to that one. That one that one should fall next year, right? Mm-hmm. For the Star Trek's 50th anniversary. How sweet is that? Almost as if we planned it. And then, uh, then we're going to do Who's Who in the Legion. I've got a couple creative ideas how we might handle that one, Rob. <laughs> then, <laughs> do they involve me not showing up? Um, it could, I suppose, <laughs> if you want. I like that idea a lot. <laughs> And then we're going to get into the Loose Leaf Edition, which I tell you what, I'm getting more excited about every day. Because I got out my Binder Edition, I started flipping through it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is some amazing art. So I'm really looking forward to that. So we'll do Loose Leaf, then we'll do Loose Leaf Update, then we'll hit Impact Comics, who's doing Impact Comics. And somewhere in there, somewhere, I'm not sure where, we're going to fit in uh, the Mayfair Games role-playing supplement. That may come through as a Hero Points podcast with Cisco, though he doesn't know it yet. And uh, we'll, we'll figure all that out. But that is the going forward plan, folks. And, oh, one more thing I forgot to mention. Somewhere in the next couple weeks or, or month or two, we're going to squeeze in an episode on the Fire and Water podcast covering the history of the DC Universe, which was that two-issue series uh, by Perez and Wolfman sort of giving you a recap of what's the history post-crisis. And we're going to be doing the collected edition, at least I will, uh, that has the extra essays and stuff. So we'll give that a look and should be fun. Looking forward to it. 
and we'll answer all your questions. Every question you had from who's who will be answered in history of the universe. That's right. And if you don't know what we're talking about, the letters page in who's who, all 26 issues, I mean, they made – they wrote a big old check that <laughs> history of the DC universe was supposed to cash. Yeah. Basically. Like, oh, uh, anything we can't explain. It's going to be explained in history of the DC universe. Yep. We're passing it to the next team. <laughs> and then, uh, Rob, I think you take it from here. You're the lead this time, right? Yes. Uh, many people have asked for this, even though it is technically not part of the Who's Who series. It's not branded as such. But this is Ambush Bug number three. Woohoo! Cover dated August 1985 by the team of Keith Giffen, Robert Lauren Fleming. Bob Oxner, Julia Schwartz, among others. Yeah, this is, um, you know, while Who's Who was going on, Ambush Bug had his miniseries. And, I mean, I bought this stuff at the time. I just loved Ambush Bug. Uh, Hell I mean, to the yes. Yeah, I mean, I was always a DC kid more than a Marvel kid. And DC took itself just so seriously. And when DC tried to be funny, it was like your dad trying to be funny. You know, it was just so <laughs> forced. And here – then Ambush Book came along and Keith Giffen and Robert Lauren Fleming just took the piss out of everything DC was – trying to do in terms of taking itself so damn seriously so like i said even though this is technically not really part of the huzu series enough people asked about it that we figured it was worth covering so the only issue we're doing is number three because the subtitle of this one is the ambush bug history of the dc universe and the cover has got ambush bug coming out of a photo booth anybody know what those are uh yeah they're very common now actually are they really? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, retro. Uh, and you see some photos of some old DC characters coming out of the, of the little uh, little mouth there, four for a dollar. So as, as you can see, there's Bad Might, Johnny DC, and Egg Foo pictured. So you know that Ambush Book is going to be covering characters that Who's Who did not deem worthy to it's cover. A- Gorgeous cover. I mean, it's so iconic, uh, uh, Giffen. I, I, I think this was probably the first Ambush Bug issue I bought. Um, and I just I'm in love with it. In fact, this is I think this is when I started collecting ambush bugging. Now, just to put it in perspective, you mentioned its release date or cover date was August '85. If you jump in your um, Bill and Ted phone booth and go back to May 30th, 1985, that's when it came out. And just to where I was going with that, to put it in perspective, this came out at the same time Who's Who number six was on the shelves. Oh wow, jeez, I didn't think about that. Yeah, that was really yep. pretty early then. So they were really right ahead was. of the game. So yep. okay. Um, so yeah, the, the we're not going to cover the entire book because the whole book is not listings, and these listings are very loose. I'm putting listings in air quotes here. You can't see me, but I am. Um, but we're going to just kind of sketch over some of it. But th- there's a lot of great stuff in this book. So the the, the opening page is, is Ambush Bug sitting amid a pile of Earths, <laughs> all the different Earths, and they're labeled Earth One, Earth Two, Earth S, Earth Q, Earth Seven. Uh, all there's like Earth a smiley face. There's a smiley face. There's a there's a four leaf clover. There's a heart. I mean, it just it's just telling you, you know, where we're going here. So the first listing is uh, well, okay. Let me let me back up just a little in terms of giving you perspective. These pages feature two characters each: uh, top part, top page, bottom page, the characters. Uh, all the listings are done in handwriting, as if you're reading Ambush Bug's journal. And he gives a brief history of the characters, and then slapped over each of the character art is where they are now. Yeah, like some some dismissive phrase. Of yeah, how some DC dismissive got rid of phrase. Them. Right, exactly. So the first listing is the Wonder Woman villain Egg Foo, which is a giant egg-like creature in a giant dome. He's like forty stories high, and he is a horrible Asian stereotype. Oh my! It's so bad. 
Yeah. So he first appeared in Wonder Woman number 157, which was uh, October 1965. And um, they're giving you a sample of his dialogue here. And he says, the foolish Americans do not know the instant of their plot pilots attempt to take photographs of our installations. They might just as well press a tugger against their own blades. Hee-ho. And Ambush Book says, what can I add? This big guy was steeped in oriental cunning. Sort of makes you think, don't it? And his deadliest weapon was his mustache flap, which was, which was just what you're imagining. Egg, Egg Fu was destroyed, oh no, at the end of Wonder Woman number 158 under very mysterious circumstances. Apparently, a certain mystery housewife lent Wonder Woman her recipe for quiche. Wow. Now, remember that. Because it's going to be a thread going through this whole issue of what happened to all these characters. Yeah, the, the housewife part. Yeah, the things. housewife part. And we found out that Egg Fu's current, uh, current continuity is he is scrambled. Now, I've got some more information to add, all interestingly right. enough. He, didn't, he was not limited to two issues, as they've indicated here. No, that was his initial appearance, right. Right. Well, he, he had one more, but it wasn't him. It was Egg Fu the Fifth. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> so Egg Fu the Fifth appears, right? Guess what issue? He appears in the same exact issue where Robert – in the backup story where Robert Kaniger writes all of the goofy crap out of continuity. Ah, OK. So Wonder Tot's in this page. Right. Awful big coincidence that Egg Fu the Fifth appeared in the same issue where Wonder Tot was written out of continuity. Kind of fascinating. Hmm. And then um, in post-crisis, John Byrne actually put Egg Fu in an issue. And I don't I remember. I think I remember that. I think I remember that he did that. And then – Keith Giffen, of course, ran with it, and in 52, that great series 52, Eggfu's a major player in that story. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. It's crazy. Yeah, I really do wish they had, uh, who's who-wise, I really wish they had given Eggfu a listing. I would have loved to have seen, maybe, I mean, Giffen would have been the natural choice, but I would have loved to have seen, like, what Bill Sienkiewicz could have done with Eggfu. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it would have been really neat. <laughs> so, Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's, you're kicking off with Eggfu, you can't beat that. Um, so the other half of the page is another Wonder Woman character, in this case, Wonder Tot, who first appeared in Wonder Woman number 132, and is not a baby version of, it is not a baby who was Wonder Woman, it is a Wonder Woman turned into a baby. Um, and he says, he, he starts off, Amish book starts off with, so anyway, that reminds me of Wonder Woman number 132, August 1962, I'm not making this stuff up, you know, in which they appeared this story about a midget. And she says, me no midget, me Wonder Tot. And then they established later, soon afterwards, Wonder Tot was adopted by a young woman, remember that, who left no forwarding address. Could this woman have been a quiche eater? And her current status is conveniently forgotten. Yes, so Robert Kennedy writes her out of existence. And uh, her stories, Wonder Tot stories, were always labeled as impossible stories, which is kind of funny. At least that's the note I found, which is kind of funny because Superman's were always imaginary stories. Right. Hers are impossible stories. Right. And uh, I tried to figure out how many appearances Wonder Tot had. I found one site that suggested there was as many as 21 appearances of Wonder Tot. I don't know. There could be more. It doesn't seem like uh, – you don't get a lot of really good records on these older characters that didn't get like who's who entries and got rem- – and the ones basically forgotten, there's not that good of records out there on them. Uh, somebody has not bothered to catalog this. Yes. Mike's Amazing World falling down on the job. So the uh, next page is not a who's who page, but it is, DC, it is Ambush Bug searching for whatever happened to Binky. And this is Amish Bug searching for the character known as Binky, who had his own DC series. And it is drawn in a perfect replica style 
of that artwork by Keith Giffen. And Ambush Book is interviewing all the various people supporting characters in the Binky universe because he talks about that Binky was uh, seen with a woman uh, and then never seen again. And my favorite part is interviewing all the different people. <laughs> he gets the one character and the guy goes, yeah, sure. I heard him talking about the girl from Earth 2. So what? I've talked about Earth 2 myself. Is that so wrong? Right, exactly. I just love the idea of like Earth Two being like a, a drug, a controversial subject among these characters. So yeah, we've just, again we're establishing now that yet another DC character has mysteriously disappeared. In this, it has case, something to do with a woman. It's something yeah. to do with a woman, Binky. Now this this artwork. I mean, you, you say it's a replica of that style, which is amazing because it's clearly aping Archie. Archie, yeah. I mean, I believe oh, yeah. a lot of the Binky stuff was done by a guy named Archie uh, Henry Scarpelli. Who just worked in that that Archie house style? You know, I mean that that's how you did humor comics. Was he makes look like Archie? So go ahead, guess how many Binky comics there were? Oh, a lot. He had a long. He, I, he had a fairly long running series. Throw a number out there. It was like I don't know. I think it was uh, like seventy or something like that. Over a hundred. Because <sighs> look at that. Well, you're right. It it's, it, it was. 82 issues with Binky and Leave It to Binky. Right. But he also appeared in Our Army at War, and there was a Binky's Buddies. Binky's and Buddies, right, right. Right, so there's over, altogether, over 100 issues of this guy who I had never even heard of. Yep, yep. Isn't that amazing that he just, he's completely vanished from the 50 cent bins? It, it doesn't exist anywhere. Well, his his series ended in the late 60s, so you're yeah, not going to find the stuff in the 50 cent bins. Those comics are 50 years old at this point. I'm just well. I, even in the '80s, though, I th- you would think true. The yeah, bins was, the, the bins were full of. You know, I think people comics. didn't collect them. You know what I mean? Like they were just not. I know they weren't bought by comic collectors. They were bought yeah. by a whole different audience that DC Comics no yeah. longer serves, or Marvel, or anybody really for That's that. That's true. Point, so. Well, Archie still serves. Archie, but yeah. the the main publisher just. Gave, I mean, if you look at the DC house ads in the '60s, they published romance comics, they published yeah. war comics, horror comics, humor comics. I mean, a funny animal. Uh, Bob Hope and Jerry Lewis, all that yep. stuff. You know, by 1975, pretty much all that stuff was gone. So, anyway, Ambush Bug can't find Binky. So, something happened to Binky. I have to say, I love this Ambush Bug comic so it's much. Fantastic. It's It's packed to the gills with, with really great jokes. So, the next page is another sort of who's who-ish page. The next listing is Super Turtle, <laughs> who is pretty much what he sounds like. A turtle with Superman's powers. <laughs> um... Where – what happened to him, it says uh, – so he, he, um, what happened to Super Pets? He says, he answered an advertisement in the wine and food section of the Daily Planet offering top dollar for exceptional turtles. He was last seen in the company of an anonymous female chef who was nonetheless justifiable famous for the succulent steak terrapin. And he is labeled as soup du jour. <laughs> so – so he used to appear in the back of like, as I understand right, Superman strips mm-hmm. as like joke character, like yeah, he would do like a little, half page or something. Yeah, so he wasn't actually in the comics. No. He was like, um, almost like Fred Hembeck used to have those comic strips, and you know, Marvel did some later on with their own characters and just little little funny strips. Now I tried to figure out how many he was in. There is no record of those no. either. I found one site that suggests there's as many as sixty-two. I got to figure there's probably more than that. Because I rem- I actually remember seeing this character myself, Super Turtle. In the in the mid two thousands, there did a one pager. I forget what book it ran in, but there was a Super Turtle one pager by Ty Templeton, where it, <sighs> it got into the details of his life, and it was like him with his glasses on going to the Daily Planet, and he's like, "I'm not Clark Kent." He's like, "I'm not Super Turtle." What are you talking about? We we look totally different. <laughs> oh, Ty Templeton, that would be genius. It was great. It was really really funny. 
so the other listing in this in this uh, page is Quisp. We first appeared in Aquaman number one, January 1962, in a story called Invasion of the Fire Trolls. And here is a sample of Quisp's dialogue. Zooks, but you've got a plan to stop the Fire Trolls, haven't you? Isn't that why you went away, to work on a plan? So sometime later, Quisp was contacted by the female executive of a major cereal company and appeared for, and appeared for many months on box tops and free prizes. The cereal sold poorly and was scrapped, and Quisp hasn't been seen since. The cereal company denies ever employing a female executive. <laughs> so tell people at home a little bit about Quisp. Well, he was he was basically – I mean in the early 60s, if you were a big superhero, you had to get your own imp character. Superman had Mixes Pillick, Batman had Batmite, Wonder Woman had uh, what the hell was the name of that thing? She had no a, idea. Pro, a Prody. Prody was in the Wonder Woman books. Pro, from Legion to Super? No, not Prody. What the hell was the name of? I forget. Wonder Woman had a character. Green, okay. Green Lantern had one. Flash had Mopey, and Aquaman had Quisp. So it was like <laughs> yep. he was like an elfin character that had magical powers that just sort of showed up and caused havoc. So. I think Grant Morrison brought him back in JLA as yes. an awesome fifth-dimensional bad guy. Yes, yes, he did. I mean, he first appears in Aquaman number one, so, I mean, yep. he's historic he's right there. So, yeah, he you, had, you uh, really – seven appearances prior to this, and I find it fascinating that his exclamation is Zooks because isn't that the Martian Manhunter imp name? Zook? I think so, yeah, Zook. Yeah, Martian Manhunter had one too. It's like you know you really made it if you had an imp character. Firestorm so. never got an imp. Well, at the time it passed. <laughs> so uh, after this, there's a Fred Hembeck page. <laughs> Which is awesome, even jamming even more awesome stuff into it. Page after that is a four little panel thing explaining what happened to the Legion of Super Pets. In this case, Crypto, Streaky, uh, Beppo the Super Monkey, and Comet the Super Horse. Uh, their statuses are respectively doggone, scattered, re-educated, and centard. <laughs> I mean, you really get the sense this is just craziness. There's just nobody at the helm of this issue, which is what made it so funny. Um, the interesting yeah. thing about these characters... They actually made it into Who's Who. Mm-hmm. That's right, they did. But being that they were all on, only on issue six of Who's Who at this point, Giffen may not know, have known whether they were going to make it or not. Even and Crypto got his own listing. I mean, did, he was in it twice. Oh, that's right, he did get his own. He had his own listing and then a listing in the Legion Super yeah, Pet. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, following that is a page where uh, Ambush Bug follows up what happened to the Green Team, <laughs> which was which was a uh, I think a team that only appeared one time in first issue special. Later, it was brought back just a couple of years ago by uh, Art Baltazar, Gail uh, Simone, and Gail Simone. Yeah. Uh, but here and uh, this this page, in addition to ex- explaining what happened to the Green Team, also features a cameo by Richie Rich. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and he says he would get him drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is again, this is just Ambush Book just ripping through the DC universe. The next, well, it's, uh, and apparently, and near as I could tell, it looks like the Green Team had perhaps a second issue that appeared in I think one of the Cancel Comics Cavalcade. I can't verify that. Okay, but when I look at them up, it says they're in Cancel Comics Cavalcade. Okay, all right. I, I've read those. I don't even remember it, but yeah, the green team. The green team was a bunch of young kids that were super rich. Yeah. Why anyone would want to read that, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the next two Sue pages half devoted to uh, Cheeks, uh, the to- wonder, the, the wonder toy, which was the toy wonder, the toy wonder, which was Ambush Bugs' uh, boy wonder sidekick, who was not actually a live being, but he's actually just a doll. And uh, he can't – he's so broken up that Cheeks is dead that he can't even give an explanation. So you just see a little choke where the expo, where the uh, listing should be. 
Had Cheeks died by this point already? Yeah, he, I believe so. I think he died. Oh, in the wow. Because he gets introduced in like issue one, right? Yeah. He, he, okay, I guess he, he died in two. He helps Ember Shabob take out some terrorists, even though he's just a doll and he's not sentient. Uh, the, second half, the second half of the page is Green Lantern's little crispy character. Uh, what is What did I say his name well, was? Well, he's, he's, he's more like Green Lantern's, uh, more like Green Lantern's crypto, really, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, all right. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Itty. Who is a star? He is a purple starfish with a orange body. And what does he says here? He says, uh, "He says uh, Green Lantern named the thing Itty, which made a lot of sense to him at the time." Years later, a woman from the ASPCA caught up to him and took Itty away to a more appropriate guardian. No pun intended. But in the meantime, oh. easy Itty was easy to keep requiring neither food nor water. And you see Itty thinking that may be true, but I could sure use a stiff drink right about now. Nineteen appearances Itty had. Good for him. I thought it was more, but that's all I could find. Uh, next up is uh, Ambush Bug visiting Batmite, and we find out what's happened to Batmite in the later years. And he has married Starfire Tot, who they call Starmite here. Um, and uh, there's a great gag at the current Batman's expense in this page. And uh, you know what? I think this helped me realize that Batman had gone through changes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that I had really picked up on it. You know, because this would have been, what did we say, 85? Yeah. And I was just starting to collect DC. And this, this is pre-Dark Knight, when you think about it. <laughs> is it really? Oh, yeah, Dark Knight was 86. Yeah. 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 So, seeing the, the the 1950s or 60s Batman right next to, like, a dark 80s version of Batman, it, like, sort of kind of helped me understand, like, wow, Batman really has changed. Yep. Because I wasn't even getting, who I wouldn't have even been getting who's who by this point. As he, as he explains it here, it says, Back then, Batman was a real gas. He was always fighting criminals on top of giant appliances, going to alien planets, pulling great junk out of his utility belt. <laughs> then that fat girl got to him. All of a sudden, he's his creature of the night, his cape's 30 feet long, and he has no sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, like, again, this is pre-Dark Knight, and they think Batman's dark days were just ahead of him. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, next up is a science page. Wait, you yes. got to mention... Batmite's got this great, like, uh, Clark Gable mustache. Yes, he does. <laughs> Which is yes, awesome. Does. Uh, so next up is a science page where we explain Superman's powers. It's a passivity book rather than an activity book. Exactly. It's a passivity right. book. Right, right, right. And then there's Ambush Bug Around the World where we see Ambush Bug seen through the eyes of different countries. Uh, Japan, France, England, and the Philippines. Then there's a How to Draw Ambush Bug and also How to Make Teriyaki Burgers page. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's What if Keith had blown the deadlines on this issue? And we see six different versions of Ambush Bug drawn by Jack Kirby, Ernie Cologne, Frank Miller, Steve Ditko, Gil Kane, and Robert Lauren Fleming. (laughs) This is craziness. It's just utter craziness. There's a whole page of of, um, comic book style back page ads called the Ambush Bug Mart. Yeah, you classified can, ads. Classified too. ads, yeah. You can order comic books and a, and a 50-foot inflatable protee, uh, <laughs> x-ray glasses, fake kryptonite. This is fake kryptonite. Amaze your friends, amuse your family, take 10 years off Superman's life. <laughs> <laughs> the next is another Who's Who page, which features Krill, who was the little funny sidekick to Space Ranger. It's Cyril. It was, how, was it Cyril? I think so. It was C-R-Y-L-L. Okay. Or maybe Krill? Maybe it is Krill. It could be Krill. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. You're probably right. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And then uh, the next half page is Doodles Duck, who was one of the funny animal characters. And uh, he's been listed as funny stuffed. And there's a, there's an editor's note from Julie Schwartz. It says, hey, Keith, shouldn't he be sitting down? 
I have no idea what that joke is supposed to mean. I don't get it either. No. So, uh, Cyril, he did appear with the Space Ranger, so he didn't have his own Who's Who entry, but Space Ranger did get one, so mm-hmm. that's something. Guess how many appearances Cyril had? Oh, like, I probably, like, one less than Space Ranger. <laughs> it's, it's about 40. So. I'm getting good. good. Guess how many uh, doodles duck, at least that I could verify. I imagine there's probably more. Oh, probably 50 to 60 to 70. Yeah. I got 60 plus on yeah, Doodlestock. That's funny. The DC published mostly funny animals in the 50s, you know, in the late 40s and 50s. It was all funny animal stuff with a couple of superhero titles thrown in. So I, I never even heard of this guy as far as I could remember until today when I was reading this. <laughs> so uh, the next page is Ambush Bug visits the House of Mystery. We find out what happened to Kane. Of course, now he does get a listing, of course. Yeah, oh, we, we didn't mention Batmite also got a listing in Who's Who. Yes, anyway. of course, yes. Uh, then there's a page of uh, where we exp- we explain what happened to the Inferior Five. Now they did get a listing. I want to go back just a second. Yes. Uh, at the bottom of the House of Mystery page, there's a there's a funny bit. Buggy's rules of water safety. Rule number one: Don't drown. Yeah. Uh, and it's him drowning. But um, Buggy is a reference to Ambush Bug. But because I did a, I did some research trying to find out if Buggy was something, and it's not. But is that supposed to be maybe like a, a nod to Cap's hobby hints? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. it's supposed to be one of those little PSAs that DC did as little quarter pages. Yeah, I spent far too much time looking for an old DC buggy character today. Yeah. No, no, so, I would assume it was just their little version of that. So, yeah. okay. uh, so like I said, next we have the Inferior Five, where the the uh, the, the the smart guy in the, the the team Merry Man explains <laughs> tries to explain the characters. When he gets the dumb bunny, he says, "Dumb bunny was a dumb blonde, but hey, it was the '60s. We didn't know that women were any good back then." <laughs> <laughs> so again, now they are assuming that the Inferior Five are not going to get a listing, but they did. They did get a listing. Absolutely did. The next uh, Who's Who page is a half page between Ace the Bat Hound <laughs> and Julie Schwartz. Julie Schwartz gets his own listing here in Who's Who. Um, the Ace the Bat Hound listing cannot be completed because Ambush Bug just starts laughing uncontrollably and he can't finish it. Well, it's because... Because he talks about the, the fact that Ace the Bat Hound wears a mask to protect his secret identity. Which is hilarious. <laughs> and Julie Schwartz, um, guess how many comic book appearances Julie Schwartz had? Twenty. Eight. All right. Well, that I can only validate eight. There might be okay. more. There was that whole special issue of Superman that was done like in secret for his birthday or something. Oh yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. They they like they they like got him out of the office for a month and they prepared a whole issue and the cover is Superman bringing Jerry Julie Schwartz a birthday cake. Oh, I've seen that picture yeah. before. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yep. certainly. So in here, you see Julie getting admonishing the guys. He says, "Sorry to interrupt, guys, but you're on page 18, and we haven't seen a fight scene. What are you trying to do? Get me in trouble? Don't get starting all artsy fartsy, okay?" <laughs> so, uh, listening to their boss, the next page is nine panels of ambush bug fighting somebody for no reason. They're just fighting. Well, it's a funny bit because he's like telling people how to draw a fight and everything. Yep. And uh, but it's interesting that you know later Giffen would go on to make the nine panel grid. A thing in his Legion run. Yes, that just became his definable style. So yeah. actually, the fight goes on for two pages, but yeah. ending with Ambush Bug getting beaten up. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the next, the next comic's so much fun. The next Who's Who listing is Mopey. For people who really remember the Flash in the '60s, it was revealed that Mopey was an interdimensional imp who directed the lightning bolt to hit Barry Allen. So he was responsible for the Flash getting his powers. And as Mopey says here, the continuity buffs hate that story. It's not an imaginary tale or a dream sequence or a hoax. It's the truth, and there's not one thing they can do about it. So just to, just to twist the knife a little further, 
Mopey talks about some of the other things he had a hand in. He says, first, I spotted this little space capsule headed for a red sun. I gave it a little push, and it ended up landing on Earth. How about that? <laughs> then I spotted this poor little bat flitting around a lamppost. I tossed it into the open window of a mansion. I just felt like it. I didn't stop there either. I booby-trapped Steve Trevor's plane, dropped a meteor shower in Argo City, was a charter member of the Guardians of the Universe, released a spider into a radioactive exhibit at the university, gave Rick, gave Rick Jones directions to the Gamma Bomb testing grounds, built a rocket ship with cosmic rays, and arranged for Xavier to get an educational development grant. Then I did something really nasty. I introduced this young woman to a guy named Shooter. You should see what's become of their baby Jimmy. Oh my god, what a dig. <laughs> What a dig at Marvel. This stuff blew my mind when I was 14. I was like, they're picking on other people in the comics industry. It was just, I just, I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, the Flash entry in Who's Who, I wonder if it was a response to this. I don't know. They, remember when we covered it, they actually made a point to, to dismiss say, that story. To dismiss the Mopey story, to say, like, regardless of what someone might tell you, basically yep. what it says, yep. Mopey had nothing to do with Flash's creation. And I wonder if it was a direct response to this thing, as, you know, halfway as a joke. Yeah, I mean, they never, that story was never, like, quote unquote, officially taken out of continuity. So I think they felt like they had to just, they, I think back then they didn't do that. They just wanted to forget it. They were just like, right. Yeah, you know, they just like, oh, we'll, we'll just treat it like a Haney story. Yeah, yep. exactly. This page also features a uh, free coupon Admit One Superman's Forces of Solitude. Good Mondays and Fridays holidays. <laughs> a free ride admit one of the fan zone and a free ride to Bizarro World. Void where obtainable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next page, Ambush Bug visits Bizarro World, which also got a listing in Who's Who. Yep. We see Bizarro Ambush Bug is very right? serious. Right. And then another Who's Who page is Prody. Not, no. I keep calling him Prody. I don't know why I keep calling him Prody. Glop. 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 Uh, which is pretty much, what he, pretty much what he sounds like. He first appeared in Wonder Woman number 151. It was just this giant, sentient glop of goo that followed Wonder Woman around and had a big crush for him. And uh, he said, mentions here... Um, he says, Actually, it's a Wonder Girl story. Wonder Girl. He says, uh, he says, he says the brawny, intrepid teenager throws his record player and a stack of 45s into Glop's mouth, yelling, beat it, everyone, while I feed him this goo stack of jive. Glop learns how to sing a love song. And then you hear some lyrics. Says, glop, glop. I'm a mop. I'm a glop. I want my pearl Wonder Girl. But what I want to know is, what would cause a nice youngster like Wonder Girl to dream such a thing? And yeah, it was, Glop was a dream. Of right, Glop was a dream. Then we get an answer, and it was the work of Johnny DC, former DC mascot. Before you go too far, yes, uh, Glop had, did appear in two issues. The one that they referenced, Glop also showed up for Robert Kaniger to dismiss him from continuity. Very nice. So he was in that issue as well. So Johnny Johnny did Johnny DC talks about he says why Wonder Girl got the stream. He says, I did. I fed her pepperoni pizza the night before. Amish Book says, Johnny DC, the continuity cops. Then it was you who cooked egg do for cooked egg foo for dinner. That's right. He didn't fit on Earth One. I also adopted Wonder Todd, in case you're curious. I dumped her in limbo. She was strictly the pits. Then I stopped by the pizza place and lured Binky away. He's locked in the trunk of a 63 Chevy where he can't get into my nice, clean continuity. I steamed Super Turtle, drowned Crisp in 2% milk. I convinced Batman to become a creature of the night. I did it all for continuity. It must remain pure and consistent, each minute detail fitting in like a puzzle. No missing piece. And then on the final page, Johnny DC is immolated. And Amish Book says, who could have done such a horrible, despicable act? And we find out that it was Darkseid. He says, sorry, lost my head. Next issue, when Titans clash. Which they've been promising since issue one. Right, right. Yeah. 
So, oh, funny. Now, interesting, the Johnny DC thing, I, I remember Johnny C DC being in all the ads, mm-hmm. you know, in the, but it turns out that was actually a male version of Johnny yes, DC. Yes, that's right. So this is the female version of Johnny DC, which was created for Ambush Bug. And, um, yeah, she plays Continuity Cop, and she continues through pretty much all the Ambush Bug stuff from yeah, time to time. Yeah, she becomes an ongoing character in Ambush yeah. Bug. Yep. The Continuity Cop. Yeah. <laughs> I just loved this comic to death. And I still love it. It's just it just doesn't take anything seriously as it shouldn't, and it just you just feel like Giffen and Fleming are just having the best time in their lives. And there's occasionally some jokes that I don't even get that I'm yeah. not in on, and I didn't care. It just doesn't bother me. It's just it's just grabbing DC Comics and just using it for their own crazy purposes. And this I don't know. It's like to me this is just it's still just as funny as it was 30 years ago at this point. Did you read the letters page? Yes. Do you see who wrote a letter? Uh, who are you referring Dallas, to? Texas? Dallas, Texas. Some Dallas, guy named Texas. Mark Wade. Mark Wade. Look at that. Yeah, it's a great letter. It's really funny too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't even take it that. They didn't even take it serious in the any part of it. I mean, the letters page, everything. Right. Uh, so it's just it was said. Ambush book is just just a total total blast, and I love the fact that they did their own version of Who's Who for the for the for the series. So much fun. Absolutely love it. If you've never read Ambush Bug, pick up the showcase or go and find the issues. I doubt they're too expensive. I mean, they are beloved, but they can't cost too much. No, he he, ran, he did three issues in Action Comics where he had his own backup in Action Comics, and those were really fun. Um, they, yeah, I just I – just, I, like the later ones I wasn't thrilled with, like the last miniseries he did a couple of years ago. But the stuff from the, the 80s was all to be just all golden. Well, it was Ambush Bug, Son of Ambush Bug – Ambush Bug, Stocking Stuffer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a few of the other ones, yeah. Now, the one from a couple years ago wasn't bad. It was kind of fun. The funniest thing about that was issue six never came out. They did issues one through five. Six never came out. Wow. So they just went to seven. And the cover <laughs> is Ambush Bug being burned under a pile of issue sixes, <laughs> which is hilarious. So, anyway, so, and then there was all these rumors of why six never came out and did to Dio and – and, and most of issue seven is about why didn't issue six ever come out? And I mean, it's just it's funny stuff. Yeah, like I said I, I feel like you know the the uh, people have come into DC and have made fun of it on their own terms, but Ambush Bug sort of did it first. He really did in terms of being having his own comic. I mean, he started out as a straight villain. He was first, he first appeared in DC Comics Princess number fifty two, uh, a Superman Doom Patrol issue, and he was humorous but basically a straight villain. And then it didn't take long for Keith Giffen. To just warp him into this crazy character. I mean, I think it's like his next appearance. He started getting really silly. Giffen's good at that. Giffen had a hand in creating a, a little sort of parody character in Omega Man called Lobo. Yes. He was a parody of Wolverine. That's right. All right. Yeah. He took off on his own thing. So. Yeah. Crazy. So stuff. anyway, that's Ambush Book number three, which is like a nice little addendum to Who's Who. It's it, if you collect Who's Who and have all the issues, you should have this too as a nice little little coda to your yep. to your collection. Now we're not done though. We've got no, more. Not. We've got more. Um, you know, codicils, or if you will, or whatever uh, codas, to add to this who's who discussion. So uh, in just a second here, we are going to look at an article from Amazing Heroes. And by the way, huge, huge thanks to Michael Bailey for getting us these articles. This is from the January first, nineteen eighty-seven issue. It will appear on our Tumblr, so you'll be able to read the article in whole. But I'm going to read most of it to you. It's going to be story time, kids. And uh, this is an article called, What About the... It's called Who's Who? What About Those Beloved DC Characters Who Didn't Make It Into the Who's Who? Article is by Carl Caffarelli. 
And Carl did a great job in this article, which is why I'm going to read bits of it to you. I'm going to skip the opening bit, but it's basically just saying characters they could have included. And the fun thing about this article is it's not the kind of characters we've been talking about. It's not like, why did they skip Alfred or why did they skip Commissioner Gordon? It's some off-the-wall stuff. So um, I guess with that, away we go, right? Yeah. We should, okay. should we explain what Amazing Heroes was? People don't oh, know. Go for, yeah, go for it. Amazing Heroes was just basically a comics magazine about comics. You know, like a, it wasn't a fanzine because it was more professional than that. They got real artists to do their covers, like Frank Miller and John Byrne. But it was a black and white magazine just about comics. Now, Amazing Heroes focused more on mainstream comics, the way Comics Journal, which is still around, I think, today, fo- focused on independent stuff. Amazing Heroes was much more DC Marvel centric, and it featured reviews and articles, and so that's what it was. And it ran for. I don't know, 10 to 15 years. I, I, I bought it for a long time. Would it um, qualify as, like, a professional fanzine? That, yeah, it's, well, see, to me, fanzine denotes amateur. Yeah. And this was not amateur. I mean, they, this, was, this was published by a major publisher. It was yeah. Fanagraphics. It, you know, it was like three ninety five an issue. And, again, they had real writers and real yeah. – you know, so it was a real magazine. It was just a magazine about comics, but it was not like a Wizard where Wizard was sort of like obsessed with like the values of things and didn't get into any of that. It was it really – It wasn't a price guide. Yeah. It wasn't a price guide. So, yeah, I bought, I bought Amazing Heroes for, for, for quite a long time. I actually had some of my letters printed in it too. I was such a no fan way. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, – but there's – there's lots of good stuff to be found, as we'll see here with these Who's Who articles. Well, I'll tell you, folks, if if you're a fan of this era, and if you're listening to this show, you clearly are, it would be worth it to grab some amazing heroes out of you know whatever bin you can find, because they're usually out there relatively cheap. Oh, God, be- they're, they're bargain basement. Yeah, because yeah. these things are chock full of interviews with creators that you love, and you've probably never read these interviews before, or gives fan insight into characters and stuff. Like, I've got a couple issues here and there, and I find them fascinating reading. Just because it's like a little snapshot of what was going on in fandom at that time. Yep. And if you love that era, but you've read all the stuff you love, this is a chance to sort of expand that circle. Yep. Okay. So we're going to jump into Carl's article now. All right. So I'm going to start reading these characters. They're fun. The Annihilator. So he, apparently the Annihilator should have been in who's who. Carl Keller was a Nobel Prize winning biochemist imprisoned behind the Iron Curtain. While working in a mine as a slave laborer, Keller discovered a rocket ship containing explosive kryptonian chemicals. Those chemicals gave Keller superpowers, enabling him to escape the prison camp and seek revenge on the free world that allowed him to be imprisoned. As the Annihilator, Keller was too powerful even for Superman. The chemicals began to take their toll on Keller's health, and he reformed in time to save his adopted son from a life of crime. The whole Sordid tale unfolded in Action Comics 355 to 357. Never heard of this guy. Me neither. The Bouncer, the criminal whose elastaloy was uh, costume was enabled him to bounce really high. This fearsome superpower superpower helped the bouncer to terrorize Gotham City for a while, but Batman and Robin put him out of commission in a mere nine pages, leaving room for a five-page imaginary story in Detective Comics number 347. The bouncer returned in Batman 336 and was dispatched even more quickly this time around. Uh, he also is uh, next is the Crusader, or just Crusader. Former police scientist Don Powers was secretly Crusader, a superhero whose methods were deemed too violent for him to join the Justice League. Right, the same group Batman's in. Crusader's crime-fighting methods nearly destroyed Detroit as a satellite designed to eliminate the criminal's biggest ally, Darkness, also stimulated algae growth to colossal proportions, which threatened to engulf the city. Aquaman destroyed the satellite. Crusader, who had poor eyesight, tripped over some aerial wires while on patrol and fell to his death, all in Aquaman number 56. (laughs) 
And the important thing about Aquaman 56 was... The Creature of the Devoured Detroit, your favorite issue. My favorite issue of Aquaman and my first issue of Aquaman. That is Steve Skeets at his most impish because he introduces this character and then introduces him as a superhero only to kill him off a few pages later off panel. Well, isn't that also... Is that the Namor crossover one too? It is. It eventually... Yes, that is the first part of the two-part Aquaman-Submariner crossover, which was unofficial. Both (laughs) written by Steve Skeets about seven years apart. What a great issue. I love it so much. Steve Skeets just did not give a crap. (laughs) One of the things I love about him. He's like the honey badger. Alright, Dino Man was the resident superhero of the planet Sorta and a friend of Superman. In Superman number 206, Superman was framed for Dino Man's apparent murder, but the real Dino Man emerged in time to save Superman's life and defeat the would-be killers. What a guy! Never heard of him. Up next, Element Girl. Years before the concept of She-Hulk, Element Girl was a distaff version of Metamorpho the Element Man. Unlike Metamorpho, Elemental... Sorry, Element Girl, alias Urania Blackwell, voluntarily became an elemental freak in order to smash the crime cartel called Cyclops. In Metamorpho number 10, Element Girl quickly became Metamorpho's crime-fighting partner and Sapphire Stag's rival for Element Man's affections, although she only appeared for a few more issues in the 60s. I would say this one's an omission. Yeah, I mean, and she, they, there's, they feature a panel of her in the article drawn by Ramona Fraden. Yeah. Yeah. And then she came back later. I mean, she was actually used pretty heavily and by a couple different writers later on. So, yeah, she's stuck in a lot of people's minds. So, yeah, I think they should have given her a listing. Well, she was just recently in Justice League in the New 52. That's right. That's right. Yep. So, uh, all right. Probably the only one in the whole list that's an official, I would say, uh, omission, to be honest. But, all right. Fran Matar. Fran Matar was a super criminal from the 38th century who sent a vibrational bomb to Central City circa 1966. The vibration of the Flash's super speed powers might have set off the bomb, regardless of whether or not Fran Matar detonated the weapon. Undaunted, the Flash and Kid Flash traveled into the future to defeat fraud Fran Matar and render the bomb harmless in Flash 159. By the way, folks, I hope you don't mind that we're reading these. I just think they're so much fun, because they're short, they're little blips, and they're characters that... We know nothing about, and they're just super fun because they, you know, they, they qualify. Uh, this next one, General Electric, the villain who brings bad things to life, was originally uh, the leader of a squadron of kamikazes during World War II. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Uh, General Electric miraculously survived a plane crash, but his head was severely damaged and was subsequently rebuilt through the latest in electronic technology. General Electric woke up with a domed skull that resembled nothing so much as Jack Kirby's version of the bottled city of Kandor. General Electric tried to lead a resurgence of the Axis powers to world domination. It was defeated by the Sandman in Sandman number one. General Electric popped up years later in Wonder Woman where he was apparently killed. I, I think I've read Sandman number one and I don't remember this dude. I didn't mean either. He who never dies. What can you say about a guy who's the arch enemy of... But what a beast! <laughs> Not much, really, except that he's Hamid Ali, an uh, allegedly immortal villain with whom Africa's Zambias tribe has battled for years. And that Bawana Beast put a crimp in his style and shook a 66 to 67. But, uh, but what else can you say? I mean, this guy fought Bawana Beast and lost! <laughs> uh, Carl's got a good sense of humor. Icarus. Icarus was sort of a superhero that never was. Eddie Hamilton was a Kansas farm boy with the ability to change his body shape and grow wings, with Hawkman as his inspiration. Eddie trained in secret for the day he could become 
uh, I'm sorry, that he could realize his life's ambition to become a superhero. Sadly, this ambition would never be fulfilled as evil Thanagarians murdered Icarus in the Shadow War of Hawkman number two. Only Luke Giaconetti probably remembers this guy. I remember that. Oh, I remember that happening in, in Shadow War of Hawkman. Do you really? Oh, okay. Yeah, that was All such right. a good series, man. Was it really? Oh, yeah. It was great. I think I own it now. I think I got oh, it at a comic great. shop recently. Great. All right, I'll have to read it. Uh, Joshua. Dressed in white cape and cowl, Joshua was DC's answer to Moon Knight before there was a Moon Knight. This ex-Marine superhero enlisted the aid of the Teen Titans in saving his younger brother from a life of crime in Teen Titans number 20. Joshua was originally supposed to be a black hero called Jericho. Wake up, Philemon. But DC was reportedly nervous that a black hero might alienate their southern distributors in the late 60s and chickened out accordingly. Wimps. How fascinating that – it's interesting, too, that Jericho was his name and that that would come back again in, in Teen Titans. Interesting. Uh, Krellick. Krellick was partner to C- Professor Clive Arno on the archaeological dig that gave Arno the superpowers of Captain Action. While Captain Action gained his powers from the benevolent god of mythology, Krellick gained power from the god of evil. Krellick battled Captain Action and Action Boy in Captain Action 1 and 2. Although Captain Action line – although Cap- I'm sorry. Although Captain Action, like Isis, Star Trek, Bomba, Jungle Boy, and Jerry Lewis, was a licensed property for which DC does not own the copyright, Krellick was a DC original character and could be revived anytime DC wants to bring him back. So I'm sure they're just chomping on the bit to do that. All right. This this this, this uh, Joshua character interests me because his picture is pretty cool, and I like Moon Knight, so it would have been interesting. He's the creation of uh, Marv Wolfman and Len Wein. Look at that. That would, oh, that would explain why the Jericho name was used again too. Mm-hmm. All right, Lord Slide Rule. What can you say about a villain who fought Brother Power the Geek? Well, what can you... Oh, never mind. Lord Slide Rule was a capitalistic nightmare, an industrial genius who would save failing businesses in return for the for being granted absolute control over the business. He crossed paths with Brother Power the Geek in issue number two. But Brother Power beat Geek... Sorry. But Brother Power beat him. Really? Uh, the Mind Grabber Kid. Dorky name aside... Minecrabber Kid was, well, he was a pretty dorky character, too. Teenage Lucian Crawley had the power of Mind Over Matter, which he put to use as a fledgling superhero. However, Minecrabber Kid was jealous of the more experienced and more highly regarded Justice League, and he convinced a group of well-intentioned aliens that the JLA was an evil group that must be defeated. The kid repented in time to save the JLA, but he's never heard from again after his debut in JLA number 70. Serves him right, the rotten kid. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this, this one and the next character. Okay. Never was. The Justice League fought this super amoeba in JLA number 68. And John Byrne thought Beppo the super monkey was too much. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of one-off villains in the JLA in the 60s. Uh, and then there's Ogre. O period, G period, R period, E period. Like Firestorm. The James Bond movies inspired a spy craze in the mid-60s. And there was lots of evil spy groups running around in the comics. Threatening the free world with treachery and oppressive acronyms. Ogre, the Organization for General Revenge and Enslavement. <laughs> I could make a joke, but I'm not going to. Was the resident oh. was the resident bad spy group in Aquaman popping up in several issues? They were finally smashed, not by Aquaman, but by government agents in Aquaman number fifty-three. They, I, I, I wouldn't say that they deserved a listing, but I, they're higher than a lot of the characters here. I'd say. Well, they're higher than a lot of characters that made it in Who's Who, also. Yeah, I mean, they did, there's, they a whole make, lot of, there's a whole yeah. lot of one-time characters that yeah. made it. They did it. make repetitive appearances, and they were a fairly, you know, big thorn in Aquaman's side, so. I wouldn't say they were more James Bond villains. I'd say they're more like, the, um, was it Thrush from Man From U.N.C.L.E., or was that from Get Smart? I can't remember which. 
Uh, uh, I forget. Yeah. But they're they're all the same idea, though. Yeah. All right. The prankster, absolutely no relation to Superman's old foe. The prankster was a daffy superhero operating in an oppressive world of the future, inspired by Har- Harlan Ellison's Repent Harlequin, said the talk man. This Denny O'Neill, Jim Aparo strip appeared only once in the final issue of Charlton's Thunderbolt, number 60. The prankster's heroic pranks on the dictators of ultra Ultrapolis, I guess, ended in a cliffhanger with the prankster's brains scant seconds away from being splattered by a secret policeman's gun. The prankster is in a class apart from most of the trivial characters dealt with in this article, as he deserves another appearance. How about it, people? Well, that makes sense. I mean, if they own the Charlton characters, they have the rights to them. That character was mentioned by Fred Hembeck in one of Fred's books. And I was so intrigued by it that I went and tracked down that issue of Charlton, the, the Charlton comic that appears in. And it is, it's a good, it was a really fun strip. I mean, it's Jim Aparo at his best. Okay. I mean, he, so. didn't, he didn't deserve a listing, but oh. he was still really cool. All right. Uh, Queen B. Marsha Monroe was a spoiled rich girl who somehow won Batman's heart and became his fiance. But that wasn't enough for her, though, as she broke off the engagement and turned to crime. As Queen B. She teamed up with Eclipso to frame Batman for robbery and gain control of Gotham's underworld. Batman escaped from prison and smashed this scheme, albeit with Queen Bee's help. Her love for him overcame her criminal ambitions. She still managed to escape, though, while Eclipso returned to his host body, all in Brave and the Bold number 64. That had to be Haney. Had to be. Yeah, I'm sure it was. The Ranger. The Ranger was Australia's answer to the Batman. Detective 215, the Ranger joined several other international Batmen, South America's Gaucho, England's Knight and Squire, Italy's Legionary, and France's Musketeer, on a trip to Gotham City to meet Batman. The Ranger was the only one of these Batman of all nations not to join the Club of Heroes, which also included Superman and Batman in World's Finest number 89, making him, I guess, the forgotten, forgotten hero. Interesting thing there, he did return in Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated, and uh, was now being called the Dark Ranger. <laughs> of course he was. Yes. Next up is Squadron Supreme. This alternate world version of the JLA starred in their own maxi series, which, which illustrated what? What's that? They weren't from DC? They were Marvel? Oh! It's pretty clever. I like that. <laughs> Uh, next up is Swashbuckler. Swashbuckler was Houston's resident superhero, alias Michael Carter, the nephew of the original vigilante. Swashbuckler teamed up with a Batman against the Riddler, Detective 493. Are you sure that Squadron Supreme was written by Marvel? So, uh, Squadron Supreme, if I remember right, one of our listeners, was it, wasn't it Chris? Earth 2 Chris wrote an article for, um, for Back Issue Magazine about him? I th- yes, yes, that's right. I think that's right. So there we go. We've heard of him. Um, Thunderbolt was an, was another one of many comic book crime cartels. This one led by a hooded villain called Mr. Thunder. Thunderbolt was the first threat faced by Robbie Reed, the boy who dialed H for Hero. It took Robbie two issues in House of Mystery and six heroic identities. Giant Boy, Cometeer, The Mole, The Human Bullet, Supercharge, and Radar Sonar Man. But he eventually defeated Mr. Thunder and smashed Thunderbolt's operations. Although Mr. Thunder may have never lived down being humbled by a kid whose favorite expression was Sakamajee. Or, how do you say it? Sakamajee. Oh, okay. At least he never lost to one of Reed's sillier incarnations like King Candy or his licorice lariat or to Bolana Beast for that matter. Uh, up next, Untouchable Aliens. The Untouchable Aliens were a group of invaders from another dimension who tried to destroy Earth cities. The Untouchables weren't exactly evil. However, they were trying to save... 
their own world, which was merged with Earth as the barrier between two dimensions crumbled. Green Lantern and the rest of the Justice League succeeded in separating the dimensions, which worked out to everyone's benefit. The moral of this story in JLA 15 was that with, under- with understanding, you could make friends with your enemies. Or as Snapper Carr put it, beam in to get the caper. Listen to the little men and all the far outs will be in orbit. Wish I'd said that. You remember these guys? No. I really? Mean, I, I mean, I sort of do, but I couldn't tell you what they looked like or anything like that. All right. Up next is Vio, or Villo, was the world's worst, vilest villain who bragged that nobody could possibly be as bad as I am. And I'm no ordinary villain and no mere remarkable villain. I am the living end, friend. The absolute limit. I am Vio, the most evil man in the world has ever known. Yahaha! Although he would have seemed like an ideal adversary for... Insert your favorite wannabe's joke here. Vio actually came, uh, gave the Challengers of the Unknown quite a bit of trouble, beginning in Challengers of the Unknown number 50. Next one is Wonder Taunt. I'm not really going to cover that one because we've already done that. Um, then there's X-Plam, or X-P-L-A-M, Gesundheit. X-Plam was a man from the year 2360 who journeyed 400 years into the past to marry Lois Lane. Tired of waiting for the ever-evasive Superman to pop the question, Lois accepted x proposal, and the two were married. Unfortunately, the people of x time have mutated into that old little green Martian look, complete with little green antenna. x had gained a human appearance in 1960, but both x and Lois took on the Martian look upon their arriving in 2360. Unwilling to allow the vain Miss Lane to live unhappily, x sacrificed his life to return Lois to her own time and old appearance. She ran right back into Superman's arms in Superman number 136. Now it calls her Miss Lane here. Wouldn't she be Mrs. x at that point? <laughs> and Yellow Jacket. This Yellow Jacket was no relation to Hank Pym whatsoever. Uh, he was related to Merry Man of the Inferior Five, who we just heard about a few minutes ago in Ambush Bug. Uh, he was apparently... I'm sorry, Merryman was his grandson. All of Merryman's ancestors were superheroes, and Yellow Jacket was an elderly parody of the Green Hornet, accompanied by his chauffeur, Plato, in that junkie jalopy called the Gold Bug. Yellow Jacket teamed up with the Inferior Five to defeat the agents of Hurricane, which is an acronym. Heinous, unscrupulous rats and rogues initiating criminal anarchy and nefarious evil. <laughs> I don't think bad guys would call themselves rats. In Inferior Five, number one. Oh my gosh, it's so great. All right, Zonga. This is going to be our last one here. Zonga was really Professor Ira Glute, who changed himself into an intelligent ape in Marvel Family, number 85. Zonga intended to change everyone on Earth into subservient simians, but he was stopped by Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and Mary Marvel. The Marvel Family restored Zonga millions of victims to normal scant seconds before they all would have launched into an impromptu chorus i can just hear everyone all over the world singing here we come walking down the streets anyway he then the article ends there so he goes on um after that he does mention some other folks that appeared here and there and it's worth mentioning some of the ones that he says are even less interesting than these guys actually did come back like he mentions helgramite he mentions mr v um, who I think came back. I, th- I could be wrong, but it's a Martian Manhunter vote, so maybe he didn't. Uh, Miss Arrowette. I didn't know that character had appeared before the Young Justice stuff. Um, and then Quisp gets mentioned as mm-hmm. well. So fun stuff. Great article. I love this thing so much. I'm so happy I read this. Thank you, Michael Bailey. And again, this will be up on our Tumblr. All right. Uh, Rob, you, you want to lead us through the artist article? Yeah, the other article that we wanted to cover was written by uh, Andy Mangles, who has gone on to... You know, fame and fortune as a comic book historian and stuff, and I, I get to call him a friend of mine on Facebook at least. Um, he's written, hasn't he written some 
like Star Trek books or something like that? I think so. Yeah, he was yeah. in that Wonder Woman documentary from a couple of years ago. So yeah, he's that's he's, awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's you know been in comic journalism for a long time, and he compiled the official guide to the Who's Who artists. And this gives an alphabetical listing of every artist that contributed to Who's Who, what characters they did, and whether they penciled and inked. So we are not going to read this list, obviously, but we're just going to sort of hit some of the highlights in terms of who had the most listings, who had the least. Like, for instance, uh, you know, as we as we discovered as we were doing the book, no Neil Adams. No Neil Shock. Adams at all. He was on the outs with DC right around this time, and it's unfortunate because he ended up coming back to DC not that long after this. <sighs> uh, so, I mean, just missed who's who. Just missed it. Well, I wonder if uh, we'll pick him up in one of the uh, updates or the. I don't think so. I don't think he ever really? did. Yeah, he there must. Have, I you know maybe he couldn't afford him or something. I don't know, but uh, yeah, no, 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 no Neil Adams, which is it's when you think about it, how great Who's Who was, and then you you know reflect on the fact that a lot of their really great artists did not contribute. There's no Neil Adams. There's no Nick Cardi. Uh, you know, I mean, that there's, blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, there's no um, Ramona Fraden. I mean, that's like some of the bigger DC people from the from that time, you know, and they're yeah. not involved. But so um, well, one yeah. of the things the article did shout, I want to mention real quick before we get rolling. It does say that there um, that DC announced there was going to be this Who's Who project two years before Marvel official handbook came mm-hmm. out. So this is them trying to state that you know DC announced it first and Marvel rushed. To copy them, I mean, that's the argument. There's, you hear that argument all the time, back and forth. Marvel and DC both threw that accusation at each other, especially in the '80s. But um, so there's another instance of that. Yes, uh, I mean, here Andy Mangles calls the Handbook of the Marvel Universe shameful. So I'm not going to say he's wrong. Yeah, if only somebody would have a podcast about that. I wish. Yeah, I, I heard there might be one. We'll have to Maybe. find out later in the feedback section. So, as you might imagine, the person with the most characters the most character drawings is jack kirby yes uh I now, counted up 39 right the person with the most character involved most like pieces is dick giordano yep he had 36 but, but then he did the covers as he well inked almost every cover right so yep now right behind them is uh well greg theaston has the same number as jack kirby because he did inked most of those and if he didn't ink those he inked somebody else so jack kirby and both theaston theaston also have 39 um and then you get george perez who had 35 characters plus also many covers. Uh, you see the people like Fred Hembeck, just one listing. <laughs> Zeus Sputnik. Richard Brunning just has the one listing. I mean, again, because he was a DC guy, he wasn't really so much of an artist. Uh, Mar- Mark Evanier, as we mentioned, George Evans. A lot of one-offs. I mean, you could see uh, Carmen Infantino had quite a few, all the same pose. Uh, 35. Yeah, all the same pose. Uh, Dan, right. Dan- <laughs> hey, Murphy Anderson, backing up a bit, had over 30. Yeah, Carl Kiesel. Quite a few. Over 30. Yeah, as an anchor. With Carl Kiesel, actually, let me interrupt you for a sec there. Um, he had, like, over 30, which is surprising to me. Because, like, you know, every time we did an entry, we said the artist's names. But I don't feel like we said Carl Kiesel's name that often. But clearly we did. It's just kind of, I guess, my mind playing tricks on me. Well, I guess because he was the anchor. And it was just easier to forget. He wasn't the penciler. So. I guess so. But I, I love Kiesel, though. His stuff always jumps out of me. Anyway. Yeah. And then they mentions uh, I love that in the one listing for Nodar, the guy does it. He couldn't remember the name of the the, the 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 couldn't I guess make out the name of the anchor, so he just puts Williams question mark. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a perfect character for that to happen to, too. Yes. Uh, he said Marv Wolfman, John Workman, Bill Ray, Tom Yates, and then it ends with, of course, Mike Zek, who did two listings, Amazo and Professor Milo. 
And then yep. it mentions, note, this Cartarian map has no pencil or anchor listed <laughs> in either Who's Who or the Warlord Annual Number 4 where it first appeared. Although I think Professor Allen told us who did that artwork. I, I thought I remember that too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Ordway, 26 entries. Um, Bob Smith's another one I don't remember, having 34 entries, but again, an anchor. Kurt Swan, 24 entries, you know? Wow. And here's the one that blew my mind. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. name. Only 14 entries? It seems like he did a lot more than that. We were always saying his name. Well, he's got four names, so he's definitely a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But that's another great article. We will post this up on the Tumblr as well. Great resource, especially if you're a fan of a particular artist. It'll tell you right what character to find. Um, like I'm right now, I'm like I'm looking at the Joe Kubert section. I mean, come on, Balloon Buster, Black Buyer Thorn, uh, Easy Company, Enemy Ace, Gentleman Ghost, Hawkman, Ragman, Sergeant Rock. Oh my God, they're all so good. <laughs> so, ah, Mike Kaluta. Ah, okay, I gotta stop. I can think about. I think how cool it would be. Again, I know I'm always proposing this. But if DC did a digital reprint of the current Who's Who series, and you could make everybody's name links, so you could just go from each listing depending on what artist you wanted to follow. Yes. How cool would that be? be? You click Joe Kubert, and it takes you to the next listing. You just zip right through. That would be so cool. It would be awesome. Oh, DC, I wish you listened to our show. Actually, some people speculate that DC does listen to our show in the the comments. (laughs) I don't think All right. that's really true. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't. I, I don't think they do even for a second. So, <laughs> All right. Well, let's see here. Uh, okay. I think we've got something special coming up next, don't we? So, yes, this is a, this is a real grab bag of an episode. Uh, we have an interview with Dan Jurgens uh, talking about who's who, his who's who work. Back when we talked to Dan, I don't know how many months ago at this point. For the when, when Future's End was starting and, right. and uh, then yeah he was kind and enough to the others right he was kind enough to come on the show we also said hey we would love to interview you about your who's who stuff and use it for a later show and of course he agreed because Dan's a really super nice guy so we talked to him about his his who's who stuff and so we're gonna play that for you now it runs about ten minutes so you can enjoy this clip of us uh, grilling Dan Jurgens about work he did 20 years or 35 years ago. <laughs> Dan, remember that one page you drew 20 years ago? <laughs> it's kind of a poor – I felt so bad. We really put him on the spot. Yeah, enjoy. All right, folks. We've got a special treat on the Who's Who podcast today. We have none other than Mr. Dan Jurgens himself. Yay! Here with us today. I, I, in preparation for this, I wrote out a list of all the entries that Dan did. For who's who across the various incarnations of the book, I had to make it three column just to make it fit on a page. He's done so many of these things. Insane. Dan, um, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Sure. Glad to be here. So who's who? That was like what? Uh, just last week for you, right? So you, this should all be right fresh, fresh top of mind for you, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. We're asking you to go back. Oh, jeez. That, that and DC Challenge. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're saving that for the next podcast. So, um, well, we'll just get into some of the questions here. Some of your assignments were really obvious choices. You know, we had, they, they had you do Booster Gold. They had you do Sun Devils, things like that. Some were a little less obvious, like Heat Wave. How did you typically get your who's who assignments, and were there any that you specifically requested? You know, every every in in many cases, every one of the characters or the pages, I should say, probably have something of a different story. Uh, one of the things that was going on at that time, you know, at that point in the eighties, I had also done um, 
some artwork on the Legion book. The, way back when, the Legion separated into two titles, and they had what they called the newsstand version and the Baxter version. And, uh, you know, I was drawing, I think, what was then called Tales of the Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became somewhat natural for them to give me some of the Legion characters. Uh, other things, like Heat Wave and stuff like that, sometimes what you do as an artist is you really want to draw something different and you'll you'll be in the office and just say you know i've done you know 35 issues of warlord you know and i don't have any time to take on an entire issue with something else but you have anything different laying around and that might be where some of those things come from and you know like i had done an issue of amethyst that way that was sort of out there i said boy that was a lot of fun so i think i did maybe a couple of amethyst type characters and then it was, yeah, some things made sense, and some of those things really were what comes out of left field because often those are the more fun things to do just because of that idea of being different. All right. Um, what direction were you given on the art for Who's Who? Like, you know, we, we notice as we're going through the issues and spending far, far too much time on every single page that sometimes there's a little bit of text, sometimes there's a ton of text. It affects the size of the art sort of a chicken of the egg, which came first, like the size of the art to determine how much text was there? Or did they tell you in advance, say, hey, there's going to be this much text. Here's the amount of space you have. No, it was the text came first. And what would what you would get is um, uh, the area blocked out that would just be, okay, the text is all going to run down the left-hand side of the page. You get the right two-thirds of the page in vertical format. Or you'd get the the page layout that just showed you know, it's half and half. Text at the bottom, you get the whole upper half of the page. So the text was written first, and then the imagery was built around that. That's fascinating. You know, Rob's actually an artist, so he and I talk when we when we tackle who's who. I'm usually looking at it from the technical perspective, and he's looking at it from the artistic side of it. So we're always fascinated with how this stuff is put together. Yeah, just... yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, the other part of that was uh, there would be. Uh, usually some kind of suggestion of, um, obviously the rule was, you know, you've got the, the main character on the black plate in terms of black line artwork, and then the background characters were going to be uh, like a blue serpent or something like that. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you're going to hold the background image in a different color. And often there were ideas of, okay, it's going to be Sun Boy, and uh, he's the main character, and we see him uh, in his civilian clothes, you know, getting his powers. Then we see him with the three League Legionnaires, and we see him uh, later in this costume kind of thing. And, you know, the artists were sometimes free to play with that, provided their suggestions made sense. Okay. Dan, I cannot, I hate to interrupt. <laughs> Shag knows where I'm going with this. I cannot tell you how happy you've made me that you use the word serpent. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, he's another character, serpent. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. from, from the beginning of the series, I was using that word to reflect the, to mention the background. And Shag was like, that's not a word. You made that up. And I'm like, it is a word. And we finally settled it around issue 15 because we found an interview with Bob Rosakis where he mentions it and calls it a serpent. But yep. uh, but just the fact that I heard someone of your stature use the word serpent, I am going to dine out on that for a long time. So well, thank yeah. you very and then much. The other one was, are we doing the serpent in cyan? Are we doing it in magenta? What's the deal here? So, uh, you know, basically, 
what it is, just so listeners understand, is you're you're you know, normally you have a black line artwork. It is drawn that way only instead of printing black. Yeah, it's held on the on the blue plate. So I'm gonna make so that my, I'm gonna make that my ringtone. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, is there is there any particular entries that stand out in your mind after you did them? Like you look back at them later and go, "Wow, that came out really well." Um, I don't know if I would quite put it that way and it's more of it really is that you have fun you know while you're doing it just because it is different that way um in some cases oh what's a good example um for example when i was doing justice league i brought back uh, a villain called starbreaker and he had been totally forgotten and I always liked the name, Starbreaker. I just thought that's a great name. So even when you get to the point where Starbreaker gets a who's who page, that in and of itself is the success. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes when you're on the creative side of the table, you just look at those successes and remember things for different reasons. It's funny. It's, uh, you talk about the successes and such. The original edition being alphabetical, you, they were sort of locked into a certain step of alphabetizing. And so Booster Gold, you know, missed out his chance for the first time around. So right. I imagine that was a huge, huge deal for you when he got to be in the second version of Who's Who. Well, yeah. And, and actually, I mean, um, not only that, but even the whole episode of, if you go back to Crisis on Infinite Earths, when that was planned and, and Booster Gold was in the planning cycle, it was is Booster Gold going to fit into the pre-52? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm thinking wrong plan. I, I'm really so major. Is Booster Gold going to fit into the pre-crisis or post-crisis universe? That kind of stuff. And, you know, certainly to make sure he was firmly rooted there uh, was its own success as well. And, you know, that becomes verified just by having him in the great um, Marv Wolfman, George Perez, History of the DC Universe book. So, yeah, absolutely, to, to make that happen and then have it show up and eventually in Who's Who is terrific. Yeah. So I, I kind of assumed your other big success was doing Cyrano Jones in the Star Trek Who's Who. But <laughs> maybe, I, guess I missed the mark on that one. So Yeah, and his, and his pocket full of dribbles. <laughs> so, so the format of Who's Who varied, as we said. Now, as a writer and an artist, what were some? Do you remember any of the creative or production differences on working on the different incarnations? Was there was there a particular volume you enjoyed working on more? I think. Well, I wouldn't say volume as much as obviously it comes down to specific characters, and in a, I, I really it is at that point sort of the oddball stuff, like a heat wave, you know, because. You're not doing Flash at that time. And just to say, oh, boy, Heat Wave, that's different from everything else I've been doing for the last six months. That in and of itself is is fun. Uh, I remember having fun with Chemical King just because I always liked that costume with the black turtleneck and everything. And, <laughs> you know, you get into the, the weird things like that. Um, Rose and Thorn was fun, too, just because there again, I always liked that character uh, right from the get-go. So to be able to do to have Rosenthorn show up in Booster Gold and then make Who's Who, there was something about that that, yeah, that's just kind of cool. And then Sun Devils, because, you know, that was a nice big image. Yeah, yeah. Very cool stuff. Well, Dan, I think uh, we, we've pestered you enough with uh, asking you questions that you had to dig out an old trunk and dust it off. It's uh, so old here. But uh, it's it, the people who listen to this podcast absolutely love it. They lo- Your entries are some of the real standouts. We really appreciate you appearing on the show. 
And, uh, you know, we may have to call you back and uh, bug you some more as we get further down the line and we start talking about who's who in the Legion and who's who in Star Trek. Just Very good. Warning um, you in I'm advance. You guys know where to find me. <laughs> Before you go, can you just say Serpent one more time? Serpent. Ah, oh, yeah. So you really, you really, there was really a debate as to whether or not... <laughs> Yes, there was. There really was. There really was. Shag was like, you made that word up. And I'm like, I did not. It represents when it's the color. It, we, you could also call it a color hold, but I just started calling yep. it a serpent from the beginning. And Shag just was like not having it. And then it was. It took Rob Rosakis to, to step in uh, from the past and confirm that I was correct. Well, not only that, but if you go to a convention and can go through and find a lot of artwork uh, – from that 80s sort of period um, where they would do the overlay. Like, you know, Keith Giffen did it to a crazy extent on all his Legion stuff, for example. And you find that artwork with the overlays, it is marked in big letters on top of it, Serpent. Oh, Oh, wow. How funny. So there is visual evidence everywhere. I still have, um, uh, I know that uh, there was an issue of Boucher Gold, the original volume I did, I think it was issue four, that just, was real serpent heavy, and I still have a lot of that stuff in the <laughs> serpent. So oh there my you go. You said it like twelve times. This is awesome. <laughs> now, since, since we're talking about original art, I got to ask you a little bit off the beaten path. There, uh, you still have the original art to Zero Hour, the cover to Zero Hour number zero. I do. It's hanging on the wall. Uh, what I had to do to make sure it stand out was just have an all black wall to hang it on. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be the easiest cover you ever did. Yeah, if only I'd gotten an easy check for it too, but unfortunately, oh. <laughs> doesn't work that way. Okay. <laughs> well, Dan, this has been absolutely great. We really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Oh, man, that was great. Uh, sincerest thanks to Mr. Jurgens for taking the time to satisfy these fanboys' ridiculous questions. So, thank you for that, Mr. Jurgens. As always, Dan's a, Dan's a real prince. Oh, such a guy. So up next, folks. <laughs> such is... a guy. Yes, I believe he is. Oh, you know what I meant. Such a great guy. Sorry, it was implied. <laughs> such a it guy. It was implied. The Lord Jernigans was, uh, Jurgens was that good. So anyway, please cut all that out, Rob. Anyway. <laughs> nope. Um, we're, we're up next is your feedback from last issue. And we're going to start off with a comment from Philemon, who left this a couple days ago. He said, came by, this is over at Firestorm Fan, came by to see if a new Who's Who podcast had dropped. Come on, guys. It's been six weeks. You know what, Philemon? Screw you. <laughs> we're on our victory lap, man. We could take a little bit of a break. Uh, we'll, we're here now, so you're welcome. These are carefully curated. We can't just throw them together. Come on. This one is a bit of a hodgepodge, though. It, it, this one is very thrown together. Uh, this is <laughs> Wait, no, 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 no. It is not thrown. We've been planning it this no. particular episode for like 10 months. It's not thrown right. together. No, it's not thrown it's together. It's just a hodgepodge. It is a hodgepodge, yes. Uh, we got an email from Joe Massaro. Hi, guys. New listener. Yeah, last issue, and I find you guys. I blame Shag. <laughs> I heard him on the Flash podcast, and he mentioned your podcast, and I had to listen, being a huge, huge fan of the Who's Who series. I aim to get one of those yellow dots. Uh, he means yellow dot awards. Here's my experience with Who's Who. Back in 85, our local comic store was having a DC 50th anniversary party. One of the events was 
to stump the comic employees with trivia and win prizes. My brother and I went through every Who's Who issue that had been released and compiled a laundry list of obscure facts. Armed with our questions, we stumped the poor employees so many times we were asked to retire from the field of battle with honor and much loot. I believe that makes me the only listener so far to use the Who's Who for profit and gain. Hope you guys continue with the updates and hopefully Star Trek. I think Legion got enough exposure in Who's Who and didn't need to get its own. <laughs> Sorry, Shag. Stop dancing with joy, Rob. Joe. <laughs> so the man join, joins us in the last episode, and uh, clearly he you know, burned, must have burned through them all because he knows all the in-jokes there, doesn't he? Yep. If he just mentioned Composite Superman and Slipknot, it would have been our, and uh, Northwind. It would have been a complete win. So, <laughs> and Brenda well, Congratulations. I mean, using his who, obscure who's who knowledge to win in a competition. I, I, I would almost say that puts his alignment at, like, what, neutral evil or whatever that With is? With great power comes great response. <clears throat> That's right. That's right. You scare me, Joe. You scare me. Wouldn't want to meet you in a dark alley. Heard from my buddy Canada Clark. He, uh, he just, uh, let's see, wait. Uh, he's a, I'm sorry, he's a big fan of Fire Storm and Aquaman. Anyway, he wanted to write in. He says, I recently stepped into the 21st century and purchased an iPod. The first thing I did was subscribe and download the Fire and Water podcast. I listened to my first Who's Who podcast, which was the volume 26th edition. There it is, folks. People do start in the middle. I've been right all this time. Thank you, Clark. Here's the real reason I'm writing to you. Guy and Sean Engel, please pay attention. He says, uh, Guy Gardner was in this issue, and I have to disagree with you both completely about him. He is the worst character DC has ever thrown at us, and I am well aware that these are the same people who gave us the Rainbow Raider. He is the most obnoxious, unlovable, and lame character out there. And what is it with that costume? The dumb haircut, the giant boots, the oversized jacket and belt buckle? What, were they out of those oversized com- comical foam cowboy hats i would like to share a funny story with you a few years ago when dc canceled firestorm for the third time i wrote dan to do a letter i ranted and raved about how awesome firestorm is and how i buy more of their stuff when he has a book that um than when he doesn't i also mentioned that if they ever needed a character that needed to be killed off i suggested that guy would be a great choice they have yet to use my suggestion but he keeps he still keeps popping up all over the place why can't dark side just pop his head off like a pez dispenser That cracked me up. Certainly, Clark, I don't agree with what you've said. And uh, I know Sean Engels, just, his head just exploded with anger. But uh, I, I, you have the right to say it, and I find it hilarious. Thank you, sir. Uh, he sent us another uh, letter later on uh, where he asked a couple of questions. He says, one, where does all the love for Jack Kirby come from? I just don't understand. I like his creations. I just don't like his art. All I see are square fingers and fat people with flat heads. And who's who, all of his entries seem one-dimensional and boring. I have read other stuff by Mr. Kirby since my childhood, and though I enjoy the stories, I just can't get past the bad art. I have never met anyone who shares the same opinion. All they have is love for this man, but seriously, he's no George Perez. Please explain. Well, I mean, you know, everybody's opinion is different. You can't, you know. But um, you are catching Jack Kirby at the tail end of his career, literally and sort of artistically. I mean, his skills were atrophying a bit by the time he got to who's who there's no doubt about it and his stuff it got more caricature as it went on mm-hmm. so you know if that's all you i mean when i first was introduced to jack kirby in the 80s i didn't like his stuff at all i was like these people are weird looking and then i went back and found the 60s stuff and i was like whoa now i understand it and i certainly understand because he's such a trendsetter he's such a trailblazer that I think that's where all the love comes from, and then people can forget that in the later years, some of the yeah, the stuff wasn't great, but it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, you don't really get too worried about Orson Welles' last couple of films, which weren't great. You think about Citizen Kane, so that's kind of the same thing for Jack Kirby. <laughs> you mean he's not measured by Unicron? 
Oh, stop it. <laughs> so, so that's where it is on Jack Kirby. I, I have to tell you, I felt exactly the same way in the 80s. I couldn't stand Jack Kirby at first. I thought his stuff was a mess. And, and it's just like you. I came at it from the wrong place. I came at it through Who's Who and, and the stuff he drew in the 80s. For me, it didn't click until I read the reprints and even the black and white reprints of like uh, the original Mr. Miracle run, the original New Gods run. And that stuff just fired up my imagination for Jack Kirby. And that's when I realized the power his stuff had. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you just said you're just, I mean, Steve Ditko, you know, in the 80s, I don't think was particularly great. But in the 60s, he was. In the 70s. So, you know, you just, it, it, it all depends on your first exposure. Yep. Uh, and he also mentions, which one of you has the jingling cat slash dog? <laughs> I keep hearing it in the background. You should make them a regular. That is me. Uh, I try to edit Johnny out. Johnny does not care at all about my recording schedule, so uh, I don't like I don't like hearing it on the show. So I do try and take it out, but sometimes I just can't. I'm personally fine with Johnny. I'm also fine with the cricket that we had for a while. Yeah, the cricket is gone. I think the cat finally did something to the cricket. I think the cricket. I think we've had the cricket twice, though. I think like it's a seasonal thing. But anyway, well, good thing. Maybe because it's winter. Maybe in the summer he'll come back. <laughs> uh, so we got a message from Jay Powers, who is known as How Green Boz on Google Plus and Twitter. He says, I wanted to share the share a drinking game I developed by listening to Who's Who, though I don't recommend it. Every time Shag declared a character as hot, I took a shot. Unfortunately, I had to quit the game after volume nine. Fortunately, I qualified for unemployment and I'm starting attending AA meetings. I now take Who's Who a day at a time. <laughs> It's too bad Bill W. did not get a listing in Who's Who. Oh, I forgot to mention, uh, Johnny DC, Continuity Cop, totally hot. There you go. There we go. Heard from Jose Rivera. He said, not only did you guys get through the first outstanding volume. By the way, we received a lot of congratulations messages. So I just want to say we're not going to read them all. But thank you to everyone who sent us so many congratulations messages for getting through volume one. And then most of them were immediately followed up with comments like, you're not even halfway done, though. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, not only did you guys get through the first outstanding volume, but you're getting closer to an update issue that I had as a kid and the loose leaf, loose leaf editions I also had growing up. See, more love for the loose leaf editions. Mm. I can't wait. Uh, anytime I hear the name Donna Troy, I get a Vietnam esque flashback of trying to figure out her origin. <laughs> And then he says here, Cannon and Saber were great G.I. Joe figures I had when I was little. Oh, wait. They're not G.I. Joe figures? They sure look like it. And, you know, the minute he wrote that, it was like a light bulb went off on my head. Like, oh, my God, they totally look like G.I. Joes. He's right. <laughs> so, and then there's a few other people that make G.I. Joe references with them later, too. Heard from our buddy Bradney, Brad, Bradley Null. Bradley is my Instagram hero. He posts uh, every every issue of, of Who's Who. He just dives in, gets completely immersed in the issue, and posts all kinds of pictures on Instagram from it. Tags us with the FW Pound uh, FW. I'm losing my ability to speak, by the way, as we get going here. We should wrap this up. Well, I'm, I'm also sick, and we're not even remotely close to wrapping this up. But <laughs> uh, So I'm having trouble. I'm going to get through this. Anyway, he posts with the FW uh, podcast Hashtag, it's great. So you know, when I started listening to this comic book podcast, I started with number, with three different podcasts. From Crisis to Crisis, which is now covering Zero Hour. Tales of the Justice Society, which is now covering Crisis on Infinite Earths. Both of which are endings of sort. And Fire and Water, which has reached out the end of the first Who's Who volume. Then he goes on to share some personal information, which I'm not really going to put out there. But basically saying that he's reaching some turning points in his life as well. And he said, how did you guys and Mr. Bailey know how to time all of this with the events of my life? This is just too much coincidence not to be a plot. Do you spy on me with drones? Is it satellites? Is this meant to be a sign of the podcast gods? Yes, Bradley, it is. You need to change your ways. It's just... Just saying that now. All right. 
Uh, we got a message from Lucien Desar. Congratulations, Robin Chag, for a monumental achievement. I have to say, the Who's Who podcast is enormously entertaining. I wish DC would consider coming out with a new series of it to fit in the current DC universe. They almost did. They, they almost did. They yeah. almost did. And unfortunately, the, the lack of success with their Secret Origins series, I think, is probably making them gun-shy doing stuff like that. Apparently, Secret Origins barely sells. Which is and it's a pretty good book. I've read several. Yeah, it's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. I, I did like that book. So, uh, Siskoid, congratulations on the landmark, guys. But it's, but is it even halfway yet? So, good point. Not even the halfway point. Uh, he's gave us lots of stuff. I'm just going to read out a couple here. It says Wonder Woman two. Great job again by Zoom. We should crowdsource who's who missing pages. At the very least, you should run a contest inviting listeners to submit how uh, how such a volume thirty two how thirty two pages would be filled. Uh, I think we've covered some of those today. You know, maybe a couple here or there. Um, Element Girls, definitely, I think, a legit mission. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, Zom, do a Crusader page, please. <laughs> I think, uh, Rob, why don't you put your thinking toque on there for a minute? Towards the end here, we should probably throw out some names of people, or at least one character we felt like got uh, the most egregious omission here. Oh, I already know. Okay, well, we'll get, we'll get to that at the end then, folks. Hang, hang tight till the end for our most egregious omissions. Uh, Cisco goes on to say, Cannon and Saber, according to the Wikipedia entry about their sexual orientation, it says, Since the pair's debut, there's been some minor clues that Cannon and Saber were more than just partners in crime. In Vigilante 35, though, Saber was shown giving a scantily clad Cannon a back rub. When asked to confirm the relationship in the letters page of a subsequent issue, editor Mike Gold said, Yes, Saber and Cannon were indeed gay. Does it make a difference? No. That's a great way to handle that. I think that's a really nice way they addressed it. And then uh, he suggested Captain Triumph. He said, could it be the Earth-X Firestorm? Think about it, Shag. And actually, that's a pretty cool idea. Because, you know, Earth-X is the war-torn world. Captain Triumph was two beings in one body. It was one guy in control and then the spirit advising him. It's like, oh, it is kind of an Earth-X Firestorm. I'd never thought about that. And then, uh, as usual, Siskoid posted his Who's This post with uh, Who's Wyoming Kid, Who's Captain Triumph, and Who's Captain X. All of those appeared over at siskoid.blogspot.ca, and you can check all those out. Fantastic stuff. Uh, we got a message from little Russell Burbage, and he says, The Wyoming Kid retired in 1979 and opened up a chain of steakhouses called Cheyenne Roadhouse. I've eaten one. They aren't bad. Is, he, is that made up? I don't know. Yeah, he's making that up. Okay, which is funny because he's from every. By the way, being the last episode of Who's Who, can we finally tell everybody? <laughs> Little, I mean, I'm sure most of you who pay attention have noticed Little Russell Burbage is always from somewhere else every time. Well, somewhere around, I don't know, the fifth or sixth episode of the show, we decided to specifically make Russell Burbage only from fictional places that exist in the DC universe. So if you go back and listen to all of them, he's from, he's from essentially Metropolis and Gotham City, but we picked smaller cities. You know, ones like, you know, I don't know if we ever said Central City, but we'd say like New Venice, which was where Aquaman was from at one point, and, and you know, the, the, where the Dial H for Hero guys were from. So Little Russell Burbage, or, or Rimbor, which is where Ultra Boy's from. So he's always from fictional DC cities. And if you figured that out by now, awesome. If you hadn't, there's a little, there's a little Easter egg for you. Heard from Wolfgang Hartz, and he made an interesting observation here. He said, look closely at Croc's entry in Volume 5, and you'll find a reference to a criminal named Squid, and in parentheses, see Squid. Well, Squid never got an entry. Also, in some of the letter columns, the editor said that Batman villains like Film Freak and Black Mask, who made their debuts during Who's Who, would get entries in the updates, and they never did either. But the worst omission has to be Joe Chill, the murder of Batman's, uh, of Bruce Wayne's parents, without whom there would never have been a Batman. <laughs> Interesting suggestion for an omission. 
uh, Aaron Bias, he wrote to me on a well, he while he was listening to our episode, he wrote and said Nubia totally should have been a who's who entry, and then he wrote back to me about an hour later. He goes, "Oh, you guys just covered her." <laughs> So that was great. Well, well timed. Uh, Zoom. We heard from Zoom Yukinori. Am I saying that right yet? Zoom Yukinori. Yep. Okay. Uh, he wrote about Wizard. We I had asked about in the Serpent. There was a woman with dice on her breasts that, well, a got my attention, and b I didn't know who she was. And we speculated maybe she was connected to the gambler. And he said, yes, she is Hazard. She's actually the granddaughter of the Golden Age JSA villain, the gambler. As I recall, she had the probability-altering power similar to a certain Marvel Comics character, a witch clad in scarlet whose name escapes me at the moment. She and the other young villains in the Serpent is part of the wizard's new, younger Injustice Society created specifically to take on Infinity, Inc. So there you go. And then he talks about Wonder Woman 1. We, we talked about how... Um, it, 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 how Wonder Woman took Diana Prince's identity in, uh, we read about that in the previous entry, which we thought was bizarre that there was an actual woman named Diana Prince that she met. And we speculated when that story happened. He says the story of princess Diana buying nurse Diana Prince's identity and credentials actually happened in sensation comics. Number one in 1942. This also happened in the history of the earth. One's Wonder Woman as chronicled in DC special series. Number 19, a secret origins digest. Rob, it's a digest. You should have known that. Uh, fun fact, the Earth One Diane, Diane uh, Prince married a man named Dan White. Hold on. I'm stuttering all over this. The Earth One Diana Prince, so not Wonder Woman, but the real Diana Prince, married a man named Dan White, and their son is Marvin White, who's the same Marvin from the Super Friends Wendy and Marvin duo. That's insane. That sounds like the work of E. Nelson Bridwell. <laughs> it probably was. Um, Rob asked how Zoom did such amazing work with uh, his artwork. So then he goes on about Nubia, because we have sort of speculated how he had done that amazing drawing of Nubia uh, that Zoom had done. And he says, not to spoil the magic for Rob, but I actually came up with the pose of the main figure for this piece, taking a Don Heck-drawn head from a panel of Wonder Woman in number 206 and drawing the body in the best Don Heck style I could muster. Amazing. I also created the logo using a Greco-style typeface. Amazing. Man, what, what a good mimic he is. Yeah. Wow. Amazing stuff. Uh, regarding the Golden Age Aquaman, I'm very glad you like this entry, Rob. My maf- my wife, Namiko, laughs so hard at your I want to take this listening behind the school and get a pregnant comment, which I will interpret as high praise indeed. <laughs> that just it's so disturbing the way you said that. I like this Namiko. She's got my sense of humor. I appreciate it. <laughs> Someone has to. Uh, he thanks us for bestowing upon him the Yellow Dot Lifetime Achievement Award. And he says, I suppose I should get started on the Human Flying Fish and Satin Satan custom entry so I can oh. truly deserving this honor. Oh, oh my. You know, Zoom, you could have just stopped and retired, but now you have dangled a carrot in front of us. (laughs) So either you have to do them or we're going to have to crowdsource this book we keep talking about. Mm -hmm. Heard from our buddy Earth 2 Chris. He he talks about the wizard entry, and uh, (laughs) he says – about the wizard entry, he says uh, that what they don't mention is that the wizard made the Earth 2 Superman disappear for a whole year, leading to the marriage of Clark Kent and Lois Lane in the classic tale in Action 484. By the way, Cindy and I cover this issue in the next episode of Supermates. Bing! Plug. Very nice. Uh, he says, Rob, you don't like the wrath? What is wrong with you? Seriously, I get what you were saying about piling too much onto Batman's origin, but that comic blew my young mind. The follow-up story in Batman Confidential figures back wasn't bad either. I'll take your word for it, Chris. I'm not going to read it. And he says, uh, then regarding Zoom's custom pieces were pitch perfect. I agree all of these should have been included. Nubia was strangely swept under the rug, it would seem. You'd think DC could have used that diversity. On top of that, like I, I mentioned at the time, Nubia had a doll. Any character that got an action figure deserved a who's who listing. That period. 
Demos. I okay. I well, yeah, he, well, he had a figure and he got an entry. Okay, no, I say yeah. So, yeah, right. I mean, to me, if you made it into a toy, you deserved. A, I don't care how few appearances you had, you deserved a less than him. So, agreed. He goes on to say, "Shag is right." Oh, there's more. I'm sorry. Um, Shag is right. The Binder series has some great art. To me, that is the second coming of Who's Who. I was totally captivated by the ability to customize the organization of those pages. Man, let me tell you, we are going to talk about that. That is, oh, I can't wait. We're getting, I'm, I'm getting really excited for the Binder edition. It's going to be great, folks. It really is. Heard from our buddy Anthony Durso, the Toy Room. He says, Wizard, I'm a bit confused on why the art doesn't depict his 70s costume, especially since they went to all the trouble he went to in Secret Society of Supervillains to acquire the cloak, gloves, and amulet. Then he says <laughs> uh, about Hazard and, and, and all that, he goes, check your who's who updates. They're heavy with Infinity Inc. and Young All-Stars related entries. Believe me, they'll make you long for the days of New Gods, Atari Force, Mega Men, and Warlord ancillary characters hogging up all the real estate. <laughs> Speaking of which, Wizard World, I have no use, all caps, for anything remotely related to Lord of the Rings, Hobbit. Me neither, buddy. One of the things on my bucket list is to die without ever seeing any of these movies. Oh, wow. I don't know if you can you put that on a bucket list to not do something. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Why not? Yeah. Okay, I guess so. Uh, Wrath. This character was much more effective when Grant Morrison amped up his powers and changed his name to Prometheus. Dude, that was like a slap in the face when I read that. I'm like, huh? And I went back and I had forgotten Prometheus's origin. You probably don't even know who this character is. Anyway, I read. No, up I on... remember Prometheus. Oh, okay. And I read up on Prometheus and I'm like, oh my god, it is Wrath. I like didn't even realize. The only difference is Jim Gordon didn't kill his parents, but police did. Mm. I was like, holy moly. Uh, Zoo Crew. All right. I postulated that it was unfair that all of the uh, ancillary devices and buildings and stuff with the, the Zoo Crew was all carrot-shaped. It's like, that's not fair. There's other animals in the team. It's very specious. And he says, why did Captain Carrot get all the vehicles named after him? It's in his contract. The book was titled Captain Carrot and his amazing Zoo Crew, after all. Not just Zoo Crew. You know, that is a very good, uh, very observant splitting of hairs there, Mr. Dorso. I, I'm very impressed. Uh, we also heard from Joe X. He says, uh, if you're a fan of Tom Yeats, pick up the Epic Series, and Epic being the company, Epic Series Time Spirits he did back in the 80s. You know, I remember seeing that in the 50 Cent bin, dude. Have you ever read that? No. I, I bet it's gorgeous. So I'm going to have to look for that now. I uh, said, and this, this is horrible. Uh, Angel and the Ape were later, later retconned deeper into the DCU as she was the half-sister of Dumb Bunny of Inferior 5, and he was the grand, grandson of Gorilla Grodd. Oh, so unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, I think that's overdoing it a little. Unless that was like a Phil Foglio joke or something, that's just unnecessary. Mm. Uh, he says, Nodar should have hung out with those other 25th century refugees, Booster Gold and Reverse Flash. <laughs> that's a great observation. I really like that. And then he says, guys, I have had a great time with Who's Who podcast, and I can't wait for the next series to start. Take your well-deserved victory lap. Done. Yes, that's, that's, where, uh, that's where I got the phrase from. Thank you so much. Jeff R., who's responsible for our egreg- uh, coming up with our egregious omissions, took this opportunity to take a victory lap of his own, and he pretty much went through almost every issue of the Who's Who uh, book and figured out somebody else who was the egregious omission. So, book number one, Abigail Arcane. Now, he lists a lot more than this. I'm just going to kind of hit the high points here. So, issue number one should have had Abigail Arcane. Good call. Issue number two should have had Batman Jones. No idea who that is. Issue number three should have had Blue Beetle Dan Garrett. Good call. Issue number four should have had Chameleon Chief. Good call. 
uh, issue 5, Composite Superman 2, since both versions were distinct and amazingly important characters in the history of the DC Universe. Well played, Jeff. Well played. <laughs> issue number 6, Doc Gimmel. Yes, agreed, from Legion. Issue 7, Double X. Agreed. Issue 8, Fireman Farrell. What the hell are you talking about? Issue 10. The first issue of Showcase. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, issue 9 would be Gorilla Boss of Gotham City, who I don't remember. Issue 10, Haywood Henry. No idea who that is. Issue 11, I Ching. Good call there. Uh, you're up. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. He says, but it turns out there was an obvious E-O-O-T-M for the W-X-Y. That's egregious egregious mission of, of the month. month. Yeah. For the WXYZ portion of Bob Woozy Winks, who at least oh. made your song, but made the last line a bit of a lie. Yeah, it, that's funny. It never even occurred to me. I always assumed that Ashton and Daniel pulled the characters from Who's Who for the song, but obviously they didn't because Woozy Winks does not appear in Who's Who. Um, I would argue he probably doesn't deserve a listing as being a humor sidekick character, but... He, I disagree. But... Because Plastic Man's in here, so therefore he deserves to be in here. Um, now, it's quite possible Woozy Winks is in one of these supplements. You know, one of the ancillary not. ones. He's not in anything? No. He's not even in the Loose Leaf? No. His own listing? No. Do you own the Loose Leaf? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Wow. Yeah, okay. No. So our theme song is a lie. I guess so. And then uh, Cisco, I threw in there for egregious omissions, Commissioner Gordon. We heard from uh, Diablo Frank. And we boy did we hear from Diablo Frank. Uh, I'm gonna just recall out a couple of I mean a couple of his highlights here. Lovely drawing of Wonder Girl. I used to like Donna Donna Troy as a kid, and she was unquestionably the sexiest new Teen Titans. <laughs> Take that, Tom Panarese. Anyway, uh, that was shy commentary. But her continuity issues exhausted me to the point where I kind of hate her now. Now when I'm looking at this drawing though, something about in the patent leather boots and the skin tight red one piece bites knuckles. Right there with you, buddy. Right there with you. So hot. He says, I enjoyed the Perez relaunch. Uh, talking about Wonder Woman. This is interesting because now he runs a Wonder Woman blog, so he's a bit of authority on Wonder Woman. So he says, uh, I enjoyed the Perez relaunch at first, but with time and perspective, I now find it toxic. He talks about uh, the Amazons. Then he goes on to say, Cheetah joined the Legion of Catwomen in comics, shredding all of her subtext. Silver Swan switched from a commentary on the true bleak soul of an ugly duckling to an unwitting, unwitting pawn. Most of the old villains were abandoned, replaced by their constant reappearance of the Enchantress with a punk, sti- punk rock die job in Cersei. Uh, Diana herself went for a complex, went from a complex, mature heroine to a one-dimensional, naive woman-child. Whatever salvation Perez offered by spearheading the relaunch was undone by the end of his lengthy run. Uh, it was dull and the terrible art of Chris Maranan and the not yet ready for prime time Jill Thompson. Everybody who followed was pushed by the fans for more, um, Perez was pushed by the fans that Perez brought in to stay true to his narrow vision, and the character continues to suffer for it. Wow. Very scathing commentary. And um, it's an interesting perspective, you know? I mean, uh, he's got a lot of knowledge on Wonder Woman, and that's a, that's an interesting take on it. So mm-hmm. I don't agree, but sure. Hey, but it's valid. So uh, He says, I, I was introduced to Zatanna through the Perez costume. It will always have a soft spot for it. Uh, even if I objectively realize it's a Scarlet Witch ripoff, and Z is better when she sticks to the top hail, top hat and tails. I completely agree with that statement. I I love the other the blue costume with the bug in her head the most, but I recognize that she works better the other way. It's interesting. Anyway, certainly if Gray Morrow um, who's involved in the rendering, it also makes the legacy aspect of Zatara, where she's the daughter has a long 
I'm sorry, where the daughter has long outshone the father in notoriety and popularity. I must say, though, that while the most DC Golden Age material is a snooze, Zatara was the closest they ever got to Fletcher Hanks. The only thing more insane than Zatara's power levels was his Gonzo Adventures. Uh, he says, Zoot Spucknik, who I nominate as an ex- <laughs> exemplar of wasted, unearned entry that cost a more deserving character one of their own, Zoot Zooked Zook. He's talking about Martian Manhunter's imp that we mentioned earlier in the show. He feels like, should have torpedoed Zoot Spucknik in favor of Zook. He says, I kind of dug Cannon and Saber as the great lost associates that could have elevated Super Ninja to Cobra Commander caliber in his war against Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos. So more more fun. More fun to poke at Cannon and Saber. They're kind of easy targets. Then he goes on to talk about Guy Gardner. He says, Vundarian. Like most people, I became aware and enjoyed the antics of Guy Gardner and JLI. But he was my favorite character for a few months after Emerald Twilight and Fallout when he manned up under Bo Smith and especially Mitch Bird as his solo title was rebranded Warrior. I stuck with that series to the bitter end and bought all the back issues, even though the book swiftly became a bottom-rung, image-chasing dreck with a host of bad replacement artists. However, the brief period where Guy was Jack Burton on an Indiana Jones-like adventure with a glorious, unique art of birds still makes me happy to reflect upon it today. Let me tell you, Frank, you and me both, brother. Those issues of Guy Gardner after he loses the yellow ring and he's wearing that suit and and he starts, even even shortly after the Vondarian stuff, great. I love those issues. They are so much fun. So much fun. Uh, he says, I'm not as into Zoom's Golden Age Aquaman as Rob, because how could I be? And also an expanded representation for the hero isn't important to me as newbie's complete lack of official recognition. Plus Bronze Age Wonder Woman. It's darn spiffy, though, and illustrates Aquaman's early, more distinctive origins. He also says, Shag might not want to get his sadistic laughter, Shag might want to get his sadistic laughter out of the way now regarding the longevity of the Ohatmu podcast. I received exactly one response from an interested party who's a friend of a Who's Who commenter. I've also failed at getting Mac and Fixit motivated to produce for that perspective podcast. At the moment, there's no definite indication that we'll ever even make it to episode one, which is a shame since I put together a boss theme song months ago. <laughs> We're on volume 27. <laughs> Which I am kind of bummed out, though, because I did want to hear that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I want to hear at least the theme song. <laughs> uh, our buddy Ange. Uh, he commented on Wotan, which I kept calling Wu-Tan the whole episode long, by the way. I was totally out I, I like it when you mispronounce things. I just let you dangle out there. It's, it's I enjoyable. do it all the time. Yeah. All the time. Anyway, for, uh, for Wu-Tan, he says, um, <laughs> did I do it again? You did it again. Wotan. Wotan. Wu-Tan, the new killer. Thank you. All right. The art here is so great. Do you, did I ever tell you about my wife makes fun of me? I can't say raccoon or raccoon. I, call, I say raccoon instead of raccoon. It's, I have What's a the problem. character in Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> Rocket. His name's Rocket. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, uh, Wotan, the art here is so great. Magnolia's – see, I can't say his name either. Oh DC God. stuff stands up. Gotham by Gaslight is my favorite work, and Wot- Wotan should be as big and bad as he is, both a sorcerer and a brilliant scientist. Zal. Put her in the Hyothus, Manhawks, Reactron, Warlock of Ease pile of forgettable characters who I love. You can have, you can have her, man. This is probably because she was such a key player in Teen Titans arc when she when we first met Blackfire. Well, I think the Omega Men are a cursed group. I like Zal. Man, somebody has to. <laughs> uh, Martin Gray, who, by the way, thank you, Martin. He promoted us over on uh, and Zoom's work over on the CBR forum, which was pretty cool. Appreciate that. He says it's fair enough that Fury 
wasn't in the Wonder Woman one entry. Because I, I had said that the Golden Age Wonder Woman should have had some mention of Leia, Fury, her daughter. Anyway, it says, it's fair enough that Fury wasn't in the entry, given that she never appeared in a single one of her strips. Infinity Inc. doesn't count. That's an interesting observation. I never realized that Fury never appeared once in the Wonder Woman book. No, because it was all about the Earth 1 Wonder Woman. Yeah, but didn't they used to do backups about the Earth 2 Wonder Woman sometimes? Not not, not post-Infinity yeah. Inc. Okay, interesting. And then he said, this, this is something I never realized. He says, Yankee Poodle-inspired Stargirl's costume. It's just a shame Courtney didn't uh, didn't go with the flower child tiara. Now, I went ahead and looked at a couple of pictures of Stargirl and Yankee Poodle next to each other. There's definitely some similarities. And I did Google it a bit. And I couldn't find a definitive agreement to that. But I did find some articles that say that their costumes are very strikingly similar. And Jeff Johns is a professed fan of the Zoo Crew. So <laughs> maybe there's something to it. Now, which is, I mean, it's interesting because I don't know if you know, Stargirl is actually based on his sister. Who died? Oh, um, yeah, he had a sister who passed away young, and he based Star- uh, Courtney on her. So um, interesting, he'd put her in Yankee Poodle's outfit if it's his sister, but you know, whatever. Uh, great costume, though. Uh, he also mentions Rob is so right. Parallel Batman villains are rubbish. Prometheus was a particular joke with his fire guard face. Uh, he also mentions it's amazing that with all those spare pages at the back, they still ignored Alfred and the Fortress of Solitude. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about it, that the Fortress of Solitude got its own treasury edition. <laughs> they did a whole book about the it's called Superman and his amazing fortress of solitude, and it's the whole book is just him taking a tour of the place. I mean, there's a story constructed around it, but the whole book was designed to like talk about how awesome the fortress was, and they still didn't even get a listing. Well, it's all they claim because of the know, burn version. So we got an email from Luke Giaconetti. Says my favorite entry in this episode was the Wyoming Kid. The Kid and Western Comics as a publication helped DC keep afloat during the intermezzo. I love that word between the Golden and Silver Ages. He's not the most exciting cowboy character, but and was unfortunate that he never made a comeback in the Silver and Bronze Ages. Regarding the Wyoming Kid's father being bushwhacked and murdered during an undeclared war between the cattle ranchers and sheep ranchers, there was a series of open, violent conflicts between cattle ranchers and sheep herders in the mid to late 19th century and into the early 20th. It did take place in the Wyoming border region. Look at that. And that's fascinating. You know, several people mentioned that. And, you know, that's an example of, you know, American history that we should just know for because probably because our head's full of comic book trivia that we don't know this kind of stuff. It's just um, it's kind of surprising. It's like, wow, that's, that's a real history fact that we should probably be aware of. Yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, heard from our buddy Philemon. Now, if you don't know Philemon, Philemon's famous for being um, crazy and saying the opposite of whatever makes sense. So let's see what he's got for us here. Now, he wrote us quite a long missive here, so we're gonna, just going to pick out a few things. And, and to be fair, almost everyone wrote long pieces. We're just picking out pieces from everyone here. Otherwise, we, can't, we couldn't read all, what is it, like 35 pages of this Google Something document? Something like that, yeah. Finally, this says, looking ahead, it occurs to me that you ought to give a warning to the faithful listeners to have only have a few months to reorganize their binder edition updates. I assume that you'll be going through these issue by issue, which makes sense. But I wonder how others will have theirs sorted. Mine is currently organized alphabetically by alignment with uh, heroes and villains in separate binders. You make a very good point, sir. Folks, you are going to need to figure out what to do with your binder editions because we are going to go issue by issue, which is going to be a little tricky because one or two of the covers, Rob, that where they list the characters in it, one of them, one or two of them, I remember, missed a name. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know, issue two might have a Batman entry in it, but Batman's name didn't make it on the cover. So we're going to have to do a little work to make sure we don't miss any money. But, um, 
Yes, so look at your binder edition. In fact, when we get to the binder edition, I want you all to write in and tell me how you have your binder edition organized. Or, or use whatever crazy technology exists in that far-flung future day that we're handling the binders. Okay, you're telling me to shut up and move on? No, right. I'm oh, just... Oh, you're saying that's how long it's going to take us to get I'm to saying, it? Yeah, by then it's going to be around 2075, so I don't we're, think we're, we're going to have email a, anymore. We're only about a year away from the binder edition. Between the, the updates and Star Trek and Legion, we're only about a year away. Uh-huh, okay. so. All right. I'm, I can't wait. I, and when we get there, I will tell you how mine is organized because mine's organized a little, oh, little crazy I'm waiting too. with bated breath. Shut up. I hate you. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, Philemon always says the opposite of what makes sense. Here's a perfect example. It says the yellow Perry is my absolute favorite character in this issue. <laughs> she was total mort. Anyway, uh, I had picked up her issues in the new Adventures of Superboy before this issue had come out and found her fascinating. A new variation on the Batmite or Mitsoplik formula of more mischievous and less evil opponent for the man of tomorrow. <laughs> Then he goes on to say, the costume for Captain X is the prettiest thing in this issue. I love those colors and design. You are the only person on Earth that likes that costume, Philemon. I love you so much. He makes me so happy. It's, there's very few things you can rely on in the world, and this is one of them. Um, here, this is funny. Poor Guy Gardner, constantly proving the value of the mentally disabled in our society. Uh, Nodar looks like a character I should praise to high heavens. Haven't read any of his story, but the entry makes it sound like he had some fun capers. And then, uh, then he says, uh, the 1000, I love these guys almost exclusively because they were in booster gold, quote, Jurgen's house style. By the way, that's the furthest thing from an insult to me. Now I totally agree with you. I did think, I do think I said Jurgen's house style last issue. That was not a knock. That was just sort of saying that. Jurgens has a, a look. You know, when you see a piece, you can tell it's Jurgens, and it's you oh, know. Yeah. And Jurgens was a very definitive artist for DC in the eighties and nineties. So Jurgens' house style is definitely not a slam. Believe me, it just means that it's something recognizable as a Dan Jurgens. Yeah, well, George Perez, any of this guy, yeah, definable styles. Uh, he says, "Believe what you will. The Jericho-loving redhead from my comic book local comic book shop is very real." And Rob, you should have been able to tell that she was a female. I called her cute. There's no such thing as a cute red-headed male. They are only creepy. Oh! <laughs> Poor Archie Andrews. Uh, he says, fair warning, I'm going to be absolutely insufferable. Oh, on the next edition of the podcast. <laughs> Ambush book number three is hands down and without qualification my favorite comic book of all time. This the is first sensible thing he said yeah, all month. Seriously. This is my find my joy moment. I bought the issue in a 7-Eleven in Nags Head, North Carolina, where my parents had taken me for a vacation. My brother and sister and parents enjoyed the sand and surf. I refused to leave the hotel room pouring over the issue. <laughs> my mom put her foot down and made me go to the beach, so I took my new prized possession with me and sat on the beach, still reading through this amazing issue. I took it to dinners and to the pool. I read it until it was in tatters over a long weekend. On the long car ride home, I sang the crypto and streaky songs on page six, even if I didn't know what the tune Windy was, and helped to bop a bad guy on page nine and forced my own to promise to make a teriyaki burger following the recipe on page 12, although she never actually did. Decades later, my wife and I vacationed in the same town. We passed by the beaches and the site of the Wright Brothers' famous flight because the first landmark I wanted to show her was, was where I bought this comic. <laughs> Sadly, the 7-Eleven was no more, having been replaced by a surf shop. Did all the 7-Elevens close down when they stopped selling comics? 
Yeah, I think comics is what kept him in, in business, not the big gulps. It's a sad, it's a sad story, and it, and it scares me a little because I am planning – I've mentioned on the show on the Fire and Water a bunch of times the mountain comics. Mm-hmm. And I am planning this sometime this summer to take a day trip back to the Poconos, which will be the first time I've been back there in 20 – over 20 years. And I'm afraid to, that I'm not going to find anything. That I remember, and uh, th- this story brought all that back. I'm like, oh boy, I'm going to drive up there, and there's none of the stores I remember are going to be there. But I'm still we'll going to do it because I got to find out. Check on Google Earth for you go. <laughs> it's not you, the same. Are you uh, are you and Philemon the same person? Because because you're doing a similar journey, you know. Oh, we so are I'm not. I love Citizen King. <laughs> Heard from Caleb. He said, uh, unfortunately, he said, perfect timing. Archie has just started to re-release Impact Comics digitally as part of their Dark Circle superhero line. Impact is next, right? Unfortunately not, Caleb. I'm sorry to say. Impact is actually probably the last who's who will cover mm-hmm. um, because it is that's, you know, in order of publication. That's kind of when it came out was we're going to cover it after we finish the DC Binder edition. So I'm terribly sorry. However, that's awesome to hear that Archie's re-releasing the Impact Comics because they're so good. Like the fly and the comet were awesome. Those impact comics, I absolutely loved them. In fact, I, I think Mark Wade was the editor on them. I got him to sign them back then, back before he was anybody. So, heard from our buddy Sean Corey. He was excited because last issue there was lots of Zoo Crew, uh, and uh, he runs a Captain Carrot blog, so it's fun for him. By the way, I've been horribly, horribly remiss. I haven't mentioned anyone's websites or blogs today, and I'm terribly sorry for that, folks. Um, nothing personal. Just drop the ball on that. You guys are the best. In fact, I got to tell you, Rob, I don't know that we would have made it this far if it weren't for the people who write in. Because they're such a big part of the show. We spend so much time in the feedback, interacting with them. I mean, making fun of Philemon, making fun of Frank, just goofing around. Zoom's contributions. I mean, everyone involved with this show is amazing. So I just want to say a huge, huge thank you. This victory lap is for you guys, too, truthfully. This is not just Rob and I's journey. This is all of our journey together. So thank you, you guys. You guys are the best. I uh, heard from everybody, Kyle Benning. He says, a note about the cover in issue 26. I've always really dug how the two Wonder Women uh, interacted and shared a lasso with Donna Troy holding the, sl- holding the slack. Great cover despite not having a whole lot of the heavy hitters on the cover. My only criticism is regarding Wotan. I think that's how you say it. His left hand always bugged me. I get that his hand and his arm are at a bit of a weird angle. Weird indeed. Trying to duplicate it almost makes my surgery repaired shoulder and arm hurt. But his left hand, especially the thumb position, always bugged me. So Interesting. I hadn't even given that much thought to it. But at least he liked the cover. Not a lot of people did. So there you go. Victor Walker. Uh, or Walker. Yeah. Doctor. It's like Doctor. Walker. Something like that. Victor. How you doing, Dear buddy? God. Anyways, his Yankee – I'm terrible at pronouncing things. His Yankee Poodle's right-hand, left-hand powers were inspired by Volto from Mars, the star of serial ads in the 1940s that were similar to Hostess ads. He had magnetic powers and would always explain that his right-hand attracts and his left-hand repels. He'd stop the crooks and then eat grape nuts to recharge his powers. Roy Thomas must have liked the character because he also gave Amazing Man similar powers in later issues of All-Star Squadron. Wow! Had no idea about any of that. That's fascinating. Now, what I'm curious, though, uh, Victor, if you could clarify for us, are you 100% confident that he based the powers on Volto from Mars, or is that just sort of a likely instinct? Just curious. Uh, Michael Bailey said, 
Oh, he posted this on, I think, his Facebook. He said, I don't think it's a coincidence that Shag and Rob have been doing their Who's Who podcast and, pro- and the producers of Flash keep pulling obscure villains. Fire and Water podcast, making it rain obscure supervillains. You know it. That Flash, you're welcome. Just saying. Over on Twitter, uh, we heard from our buddy Keith G. Baker. He, uh, he, he explained to us some of the Sheep Cattle War stuff as well. And he also posted this great panel from Infinity Inc. of Nodar. <laughs> Is that a McFarlane Nodar, maybe? I have no idea. I don't okay. want to think about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Luke Skywalker Dob at Dob Creative. Haha, Zatara and Penguin were the same outfit the picture day. Awkward. And he so helpfully <laughs> yeah. actually, took both, actually took both Husu pages and slammed them together. And they are literally wearing... The same outfit. I mean, the same yellow cummerbund. The same, kind of thing. the same tux. Yeah, the same purple pants. Yep. Uh, Zatara's hat has a band around it, and his his uh, tuxedo, his uh, bow tie is red, and his vest is yellow. But I mean, it's other than that, it's there's pretty darn close. Yeah. So I didn't until you read it aloud. I didn't even catch the awkward joke. <laughs> yeah. That's hysterical. Uh, our buddy Ange continued his sickness uh, as a fan of Retractor, a Reactron and posted a Reactron picture for us from um, something. I don't know what that's from. It looks familiar, though, that artwork. Was that John Byrne artwork? It's Legends, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it might be. So <laughs> thanks for that. It's a sickness, buddy. Our buddy uh, Tim Wallace from Court Industries posted a photo. He said, uh, I think I'm ready for whatever happens next. And it's a stack of who's who updates. And on top of it is his history of the DC Universe trade paperback. So he is clearly prepared. Well done, sir. Ryan Wing posted this on Twitter. He said, time to finish my read-along to the DC who's who. And this bastard has a gorgeous, gorgeously bound copy. That is very nice looking. And on the spine it says, who's who, the definitive director of the DC Universe, complete 1985 series. You know, I have seen a whole bunch of bound comics lately, and I'm getting hardcore jealous of these people that have these gorgeous, beautiful bound editions, uh, and like hardcover bound editions of their stuff. And I'm starting to think, I don't know, maybe I should pony up the cash and get some of these things done. I don't know. Have you ever thought about it? No, I haven't really. I, I, I sort of enjoy just having them loose and whatever, so. I don't know. I, I, if they're bound, I can put them on a shelf. I don't have to dig through the boxes anymore. Mm. I don't know. Um, we received a lot of congratulations, a lot of messages from a lot of folks. I'm just going to run through some names here, uh, a couple of comment or two I'll pull out. But for the most part, just wanted to give them a shout-out because they were kind enough to take the time and write us a message. Uh, Jimmy McGlinchey, uh, Guano Man, the 108th Sage. Gene Hendricks wrote us and said um, that – pointing out that I didn't know who that Wotan was another name for Odin or Wooden. Looks like he needs to move that Norse mythology episode up in his schedule for his podcast, Hammer Strikes. Uh, we heard from Robert Gross. We heard from Salman Siddiqui, maybe? Uh, Gord Tolton. Uh, Rob pointed out last episode that his name sounded like a Star Wars Expanded Universe character. And he said uh, he's surprised that Disney and J.J. Ab- Abrams haven't wiped him out of the Star Wars EU just yet. Look at that. We're from Ryan Wing, uh, Oscar Olelelelele, Zeb Oswald, Jeffrey Brown, Chuck Rodriguez um, said, never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would hear the phrase, quote, over-endowed poodle. So <laughs> there you go. You're welcome, Chuck. We're from Van Z, Dale Russell, uh, Alexander Osias, and then uh, between the pages said, congratulations on finishing it up. This is absolutely amazing achievement. DC Comics needs to commemorate this occasion by releasing Who's Who digitally. There it is, Rob. You get another there you vote. Go. Yep. We heard from, um, well, we heard from several people about the Pat Broderick Charlton poster, 
but two individuals in particular sent us the images, uh, Kevin Thomas King and uh, Jose Rivera, and we'll post these on the Tumblr. Uh, they actually have two different, slightly different versions of the Pat Broderick poster of the Charlton characters, which doesn't look like a Pat Broderick image because it was painted by someone else on top of it. But so we've got one that's just a poster, then we've got another which was actually a house ad, which looks like it was slightly colored differently, or maybe it's just the lighting effect, I'm not sure. But we'll share both of those on the Tumblr. Really nice pieces. Thank you so much for sharing those, folks. Then I have got a, a somewhat long list of people that I want to read out. This is this are people in social media that have posted about us on um, either Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter, where they've either posted about us specifically or have retweeted or reposted our stuff that it actually shows up on their timeline. Now, there's a whole bunch of other people that have favorited us and all this other stuff. I got to limit it somehow, folks. Otherwise, it's going to be hundreds of names. So I just picked out people that had like retweeted or reposted or actually promoted us directly. So I'm going to read these names out real quick. M. Anthony Garrado, Jeffrey Brown, Tim Wallace, Zeb Oswalt, Cord Industries, Chuck Rodriguez, Bradley Null, Ned Stacy, Aaron Moss, who, by the way, has gone on to plug us on a bunch of Facebook pages. Thank you, Aaron. Ultron is my Elvis, who also gave us a very, very nice lengthy plug, although he did speak um, kindly of Marvel's handbook of the Marvel Universe, whatever that was about. But uh, Mr. Perturbed, Paul Loves Comics, Kylio71, Best Wonder Girl, Tiamat100, Iconuke01, Oh Yeah, Brave and the Bold, Life's Left Turn, Avin Syrup, who's our buddy SK Duke52, Arlo Pear, Dust Bunny105, Mystery Theater, Drainster, Jude DeLuca, Ondo Brode, L. Perrin, The Casting Circle, Mergly, Kenewa, Sin, Court Industries again, Tony D, Joe Slab, Michael Bailey, Jimmy McGlinchey, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Between the Pages, David Morgan, Stephen Boyd, Siskoy, The Flash Podcast, Stephanie of the Soap Fan Fiction, Covana Rose, Martin Gray, Rolled Spine Podcast, Aaron, who goes by Mr. Purple, and Keith G. Baker. Thank you very much, folks. We really appreciate that. We got a message from Negative Steve. He says, looking forward to Rob's karaoke podcast. I assume that's in response to you singing The Doors. Yes, he will always just be looking forward to it. It'll be a real waiting for Godot situation because I will never sing on the show again. <laughs> uh, heard from our buddy Tony D. Tony D was actually live tweeting the last issue, which was fantastic. He said, uh, people wrote in about Angel and the Ape, but how many people wrote in, really wrote into DC about Nodar? And, and the point he's making there is there was the you know, sort of the appendix last issue, and Angel and the Ape merited being there, but definitely not Nodar. He said Captain Triumph was on the cover of All-Star Squadron number one, but never appeared in the comic. I didn't realize that. Then uh, Luke Dobb, he seconded the whole idea about supporting a Who's Who omissions book, Kickstarter featuring Zoom's entries. Zoom, we might be onto something for you, mm. but <laughs> Sphinx Magoo over on Tumblr, uh, and I didn't even know you could put comments on Tumblr, said, uh, has there been a post-Crisis Wizard or New 52 version? I'd hate to think that DC knuckled under to Marvel with the Wizard like they did with Captain Marvel. Um, no. Uh, I mean, yes. I'm pretty sure there's been a post-Crisis version of the Wizard, right? I mean... Yeah. Yeah. He appeared several times, I would say. Yeah. He was in uh, Identity Crisis, and, or they referenced him at least Identity Crisis and a few other places, I'm sure. Yeah. Then he says, why does this entry make me think um, – oh, this is Zoot Sputnik. Uh, why does this entry make me think that Doctor Who's Matt Smith would have made a great Zoot Sputnik? Either him or Conan O'Brien. <laughs> I can see Conan O'Brien, yeah. Or Matt Smith. No, that's that's awesome. That's hilarious. Well done, sir. Then I I don't know how to say this. Icon UK01 maybe? He says, that Jose Luis Garcia's showed his true chameleon skills by drawing Todd McFarlane's 
style pretty much better than Todd McFarlane, the then current penciler Infinity Inc. And he's talking about the wizard entry. A lot of people said that the wizard entry didn't look like uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. They said it looked like somebody else. And the, he, what he's saying is that he was purposely aping Todd McFarlane, which is an interesting observation. Could be. Could be. I mean, you can see the cape is drawn actually like it's a real cape. So, no. <laughs> uh, we also, he also says Nodar is the only. No, this, is, this is me. Just commentary from me. But go oh, ahead. Oh, this was from you? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Nodar is the only post not to receive any likes or reposts on Tumblr. <laughs> Literally, out of I posted like 16 posts. That is the only one. They got nothing, uh. <laughs> which cracked me up. Uh, big thank you to Michael Bailey, who promoted us on his views from the Longbox website. We sincerely appreciate that. And finally, folks, who's who? The definitive podcast of the DC Universe is coming to a close right here, folks. And uh, we're going out with one more Yellow Dot Award. And it's going to go to our good buddy, Mr. Derek Crabb. Tarek is an action figure collector and a very creative, funny man. And he put together a party celebrating us reaching the end of the Who's Who podcast. So what a perfect way to go out. It is, it's a karaoke stage, right? And it's got the DJ is uh, – there's a lot of in-jokes here. Anyway, the DJ is Jericho. The two people singing at the karaoke there are Firestorm and Aquaman. In the background, you've got Starfire, Composite Superman – Arrow from the Arrow TV series, uh, Johnny Thunder, and then, um, oh gosh, what's his name? I, I can't come up with his name, oh, which is even funnier, because well, Derek what? loves him. The, the, uh, the, the, the Richard Dragon. Whew. I couldn't oh, come Richard up with Dragon Kung Fu Fighter. Yeah, I couldn't come up with that. So anyway, um, so Starfire saying, tee-hee, Jericho has made the contact. And then uh, Professor Stein saying, Ronald, we've been captured by the Fire and Water Revenge Squad. And Firestorm's yelling, they're making Aquaman sing karaoke, Professor, and we're next. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, we make fun of Jericho all the time. We talk about how much I hate Starfire. Composite Superman's been a target over and over. We've taken so much crap about not watching Arrow. Richard Dragon, he particularly took issue with us not liking Richard Dragon, or not knowing much about Richard Dragon. And then Johnny Thunder continually takes pummeling. So that is hysterical. The, the, there's a couple follow-up comments. Harlan Freilicker wants to know where Northwind is in, the, in, this draw, in this party. He says, I'm kidding, of course. Plastic would evaporate before it would allow itself to be shaped into a Northwind action figure. And then Bradley Null says, uh, he says, I assume this karaoke bar is in the vegan galaxy, which is just perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> I love this. I love this. I should make this my screensaver. This makes me so happy. It is a lot of fun. It, it, it would make a great Fire and Water podcast action figure line. It really would. Or, you know, if we had like a, I don't know, like a memory book, you know, like a, like a scrapbook of all this. <laughs> right. So. All right, folks. Well, uh, this really is the end. We'll be back in about a month. Um, are we going to take any time off or are we going to jump right back next month? I don't know. That depends on you people out there. <laughs> really? It does? No, I have no idea. Just depend okay. on, you know. I, I'm not taking any vacations coming up, so I think we can get right to it. Anyway, uh, folks, uh, thank you so much for listening to the Who's Who podcast, uh, the Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Please come back next month for Who's Who Update 87, Episode 1. It's going to be an exciting time. Can't wait for it. And uh, until then, folks, you can find my good friend Rob over at theaquamanshrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook. Google Plus and Twitter under the same handle, Aquaman Shrine. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. Also on Google Plus, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, all at FirestormFan. Rob, why don't you tell the good folks at home where they can find the Tumblr? 
fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and the email address is firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. Yep, and we will go ahead and post those articles from Amazing Heroes out there in the Tumblr. We'll throw a couple of pages from Ambush Bug. We'll definitely throw uh, this this awesome party, the, the, that picture up there from, from Derek. And, uh, you know, a couple of things that strike our fancy. They'll all be up there on the Tumblr. And uh, am I forgetting anything? No, I think that's going to do it. All right, folks. Until next time, who's next? Nodar. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. Cancel Brave and the Bold. Oh. What's he think he's doing? Batmite may be an all-powerful being from the fifth dimension, but he's not a god, or more importantly, a network programmer. Someone's got to stop him. This sounds like a job for Ambush Bug! But first, a word from our sponsors.